robot clowns, golf games, and cosmic necrophilia. Welcome to the Avengers episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. We're really excited to be ending the uh, the phase one journey with you here. Uh, and if you've not listened to the podcast before, what have you been doing? There's loads and loads of episodes in the archive here for you to check out from Iron Man right the way through to the Avengers here. And if it is your first time, let me break things down for you. It's a podcast where a comic book fan and a movie fan rewatch the MCU Marvel movies, compare and contrast them to those quirky original comic books that inspired them way, way back to the early 60s. I am Rob Holden. I'm a comedian and writer. And more importantly than that, I've been reading Marvel comics for 30 plus years and I am joined on this epic journey through Marvel by the one and only Mr. Will Preston. Will! Hello, always good to be part of this journey. And just to confirm, as we have to do every <laughs> week, just to make sure the format is intact, <laughs> please inform the audience how many Marvel comic books have you read in your lifetime? I'll probably go with the big old zero. Big fat zero. Big. It's a vanilla nothing from Willie P. Yeah, no. And that means the format is intact. <laughs> we can continue with uh, with our journey. It's been a lot of fun so far. Oh yeah. Um, and we've got um, we, we've been heading towards this quite steadily. Every mm. done an episode a week since Iron Man, um, and all the movies have been driving towards this, as have we, which has been really exciting. But then this, we're going to close out phase one of. Of the Marvel Cinematic Universe journey, which is pretty big, really. Um, yeah, massive milestone. We, we had a bit, we had a bit of a thing, didn't we, about where we go from here with with Phase Two looming? Because the movies keep on rolling, keep on rocking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so much to cover, and there's only three phases so far. I don't know. Has there been a Phase Four movie release yet? Because I, I sort of lost I, track after Phase Three. <laughs> I'm not sure whether the um, Spider-Man Far From Home counts as the next phase. I don't think it does. I think it closes out this phase. But we, we put our heads together and we came up with something really uh, special. Pretty exciting for the journey beyond Avengers. And this is what they know in the trades as a little teaser. At the end of the episode uh, today, we're going to be revealing what the next step of the Marvel vs. Marvel journey is going to be. And I'm... <laughs> I'm so excited about what we're doing next. I oh, can't yeah. wait. I really genuinely can't wait. When we finally when we finally figured out what we were going to do, I'm so excited. <laughs> it was a nice com- uh, uh, conversation we had going like, okay, we need to do this, we need to do that. It's like, wow, this, this sounds like a serious thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it took a little while to come together. Yeah. Um, but that's really cool. And, and uh, we know you're out there. Mm-hmm. We know you're listening. We've got some fantastic uh, feedback, some great letters. We see the downloads coming through, and we're getting your messages. And um, we do want to remind you that if you uh, do want to give us any feedback, let us know what your Marvel journey has been, what your Marvel experience has been. Let us know how we're doing on the podcast, what you like, what you don't like. We might not respond to the second bit. <laughs> you can fire us an email to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. And we've got some uh, awesome letters to be checking out a little bit later on in the show. But, well, we're dealing with the Avengers. We're finally there. From Iron Man, uh, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, and, of course, Captain America. We're now arriving at the Avengers. Um, and one of the most exciting parts of the journey is, is figuring out 
what goes on in the mind of a muggle like you, an ordinary working dollar a day citizen, <laughs> when it comes to this fascinating world that I grew up with and I take for granted. <laughs> so, you don't object to be calling a, uh, a muggle, do you? Well, if you were a gamer, you'd call me an NPC, but I'm I'm fine with Muggle. I'm 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 aware of Harry Potter lore. <laughs> right at the top of the show, we do need to point out, like, if you are joining us for the first time, this is not a podcast just for comic book fans. This is not a podcast like for 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 diehard fans of any description. This is a podcast for everybody. Uh, that, that's why that's why we, we're the two sides of the same coin, aren't we, mate? That's oh, what, yeah. what it's about. You represent. There are a lot of the the overwhelming majority of Marvel fans now, mm-hmm. people that have watched the movies and loved them, and I kind of speak for some of the older older set of fans. Um, and we have one rule here on the podcast. What is that rule, Will? No gatekeeping. No gatekeeping. That's right. We want everyone. We want to welcome everyone into the Marvel family, uh, no matter how long you've been. Maybe you just watched Endgame last week. Cool. Welcome. There's a lot to get through. I'll tell you and something. We'll be your guides. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I remember talking about this with you. I think my my dad watched Endgame, but it was the only Marvel film he ever saw, or Infinity Wars, or one of the two. And he went, "It was rubbish. He didn't understand what was going on." And it was like, <laughs> well, well, that that's got to be a podcast, mate. We've got to, we've got to get your dad on the cast. We <laughs> no, need please. we need. We need to hear what that mind thought when the first movie he sees is Endgame. Yeah, I I don't know you'll get much out of him, to be honest, but I like like the idea. Well, take us back then, Will. Take us back to when this movie's coming out, the trailers are coming out. I mean, before that, before you see these trailers for the Avengers movie, Mm. did you have any concept of this this team or this 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 idea within within Marvel, I, th- I think it's to call back to the Thor episode. I think uh, the only thing that made me aware was again Dial M for Monkey and the Justice Friends, the, you know the Justice Friends, and that was basically taking off the Avengers um, and a bit of the Justice League of America as well. But uh, apart from that, uh, before the film came out, when it was still they were still doing Iron Man and Thor and the like, I was having a conversation in the car with some other geek friends. Sorry, the car, like it's the only car, and like they were saying, "Oh, you do realize that these films are leading up to the Avengers?" And I had no idea what it was, and I I was taken aback when they said, "Oh yeah, all these superheroes are going to be in the same film on a team," and I thought it was the most ridiculous idea ever. <laughs> I thought it really? was really. I thought it was a stupid idea. I thought it wouldn't work because it'd be too cluttered and too muddy. <laughs> yeah, that's that really is that's fascinating um, because I can kind of. I must admit, I think exactly the same thing. Whenever there's an X Men film coming out, mm, yeah, uh, I think a lot. I gen- generally think a lot about that when the X Men comics are knocking around. Uh, there's too many of these characters. Let's get rid of some of them. But <laughs> that's yeah. I mean. It does. It does seem like a, a bizarre, a bizarre kind of or a difficult, difficult um, concept to approach, especially for cinema when you've got maybe two hours to to get through it. Yeah, you are only making that movie really. Not only that's wrong, but you've got to think that the vast, overwhelming majority of people are, are going to have to have seen the establishing movies to kind of get where these characters are. I think 
uh, yeah, there is that risk attached. But I mean, looking at hindsight with how everything, I mean, even DC tried to copy it. Uh, Universal Studio monsters are trying to copy that thing now. There was a, there was a, the, sh- the idea of the shared universe. You mean sh- shared universe, a super team coming together. It's basically the movie equivalent of a super group, isn't it? That's what it is. And the Avengers, I, I don't think anyone's ever done that in cinema before with so many well-known characters and uh i mean before before it came out it looked like an ambitious project that could go wrong in so many ways but afterwards looking back in hindsight man that was a watershed moment for cinema i think that was a watershed moment right there when we we're ushering a new age of the way we do films films are no longer films they're franchises and i think marvel really pushed it out with that one and they really came up with this I, nice new model of doing it. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, uh, the I think before that, you, it's it's a daft comparison, but uh, you look at Freddy versus Jason. I mean, you talk about uh, taking yeah, two big stars of their own kind of franchises and putting them together in something. Mm. Um, I can't think of any other examples though. I think that's only really happened there. I mean, that, that the concept existed not only in Marvel comics, but I mean, I read so many comics like Batman versus uh, Alien, RoboCop versus Terminator. I've read all comics like that, and they, they always went, "Ah, oh, we could never turn that into a film." And they turned Alien versus Predator into a film that wasn't that good. So obviously, my expectation of the Avengers was going to be, "Oh, it's going to be just like that. It's going to be overblown, ridiculous. It's going to be cluttered." But yeah, that was, that was that's that's what I thought it was. But it wasn't. It was actually really good. Of course, there was some slight. I mean, a lot of people's mind. If you weren't a comic book fan, the Avengers in this country tends to refer to the classic sixties uh, spy series, the Avengers. John John Steed and Emma Peel, um, and then the new Avengers, um, and that actually had some lasting effect on the yes. movie, because of course uh, we're the only part of the world where this was not the Avengers. This movie was Avengers Assemble, um, or The Avengers Assemble. I, I, one of those two. I had to have Assemble at the end of it, just because The Avengers was already a movie that was out in the 90s, and uh, it well, wasn't terribly popular. I think... No, I don't know. No, it wasn't that film. It was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen film that caused Sean Connery to go, Nope, not doing films anymore. <laughs> I will I will defend the, the, uh, the Avengers big picture movie. Um, you know, with uh, Sean Connery as the bad guy. I'm not saying it works 100%, but it's got some lovely flares in it. Uh, like all the kind of Bond esque supervillain types yeah. who sit around a table all wearing giant teddy bear costumes to hide their identities. There's some fun stuff in that movie. Oh, <laughs> it's God. definitely worth. It's definitely worth getting ripped. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and rewatching on a, on a Friday night in lockdown. Um, well, it's really interesting that you say um, that you know DC have tried it in cinema and they've obviously failed. Obviously, uh, because and there's a lot of diehard Marvel fans out there. I know we got a lot listening to the show. You know, I'm on I'm on the fan groups, the forums, and I, and I see that you're listening, uh, and we we love you for being there. There's a lot of them that are not going to like this because there's no escaping that the Super Team is a DC Comics concept. Wholly and completely, they originated it. Um, The idea of of a team of superheroes coming together 
already existing characters coming together. Uh, DC did it first, and 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 Marvel copied it. There's no getting around that. Uh, way back in in 1940. Um, just as you know, we were getting um, Captain America, and we're starting to get some of the, the first Marvel Marvel characters. And right after Superman and Batman come out the year before, um, All Star Comics put together all their big wartime heroes into a, into a one giant team called the Justice Society of America. Ah, oh, there we go. Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Batman and Superman, Wonder Woman not in it, um, but they all came together in that one in that one comic that ran and ran and was. Really popular. Um, and then Timely Comics, who we've mentioned before, they're, they're the publishers that would go on to become Marvel. They did the same thing in the 40s, around 46, with all their World War Two heroes. The All Winners Squad, it was called. And that had Captain America and Bucky, the Human Torch, uh, the Wizard. The Wizard? The Wizard. He who whizzes. <laughs> He's like um, the Flash. He's really, really quick. He whizzes about. He's the wizard. I, th- I thought you meant like he's really good at public defecation. That's exactly <laughs> what it sounds like, yeah. He's really also, fast at winning his, on walls. <laughs> his costume is entirely urine yellow. That's the only way to describe oh. it. There's a lot um, of rich subtext to be read into there, isn't there? The All Winners Squad, um, they were created by, amongst a couple of other people, Bill Finger. Um, Bill Finger's one of the creators of Batman. Bill um, Finger, one of, the of, <laughs> one of the creators of Batman, who gets absolutely no credit because um, because of the way Bob Kane cunningly and craftily worded the contracts. Um, so Bob Kane is officially recognised as the creator of Batman. But if you talk about the vast majority of what you associate with Batman, Bill Finger came up with all of that. Um, so yeah, he was one of the creators of the of the All Winners Squad. And because superheroes were were in a, a massive decline. Um, after the Second World War, they only made a few appearances, didn't take off, and that was the end of the All Winners Squad. Then in 1960, DC Comics revived this idea of the Super Team. Um, they they put all their popular characters together in the Justice League, you know, kind of an updated version of the Justice Society. Big success, big success. And and one day, the head of DC Comics, Jack Leibowitz, is playing a game of golf. With the head of Marvel Comics, Martin Goodman, and that mm-hmm. golf game inadvertently and accidentally creates the Marvel Universe. Um, oh, Jack yeah. Leibowitz is bragging about how popular the Justice League is. So, what's your boy Marty Goodman do? <laughs> he immediately gets on the phone. He calls his cousin Stan Lee, and oh, he says, God. "Stan, I think these Super Team books are going to be big. We need to have one. You got to create a book." A team book like the Justice League. Uh, and that's the directive in 1960. Now, because Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, they, they, can't, they kind of can't help themselves. They can't do things... They, can't, they don't seem to be able to follow a format, right? They're the mm. Shakespeare's of the 60s. They just can't help themselves but reinvent the wheel. So they don't copy <laughs> the Justice Society and the All-Winners Squad and the Justice League. They create something that's never been done before. They create the Fantastic Four. Yes, it's a team book, but unlike unlike anything else, this is about a family who fight and argue and are racked with guilt and grief, uh, and they're disfigured and they're you know they are not what you'd expect to see in the Justice League. Uh, it's Why not does- what Marty Goodman was. 
Well, sorry to interrupt. All I'd say with the the Fantastic Four, I've noticed is they're they're a single entity almost. You never have them on their own in a comic. I've never known them to be on an adventure. Not I, I haven't read Marvel comics, but I've never heard of any sort of like oh they 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 they, they made a spin off where it's just the thing on his own for a while. Has that ever happened? Because they just yes, seem to be eighteen. Of, yes, lots of times, especially with a thing. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> the I thing's been the star of it. Yeah, the thing was a star of his own 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 series for a long while, um, mm. and uh, they've also joined various other teams. Like they've, they've been members of the Avengers a few times and, and things like that. But yeah, they're, it's because they're a family, and that's where their strengths lie. So that I, I know what you mean, though. Um, so so two years after not doing as they were told with uh, creating a super team, mm. and two years after accidentally creating the Marvel Universe, uh, Stan and Jack sit down and 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 decide to finally do what their boss told them to do um, back in the 60s, uh, back in 1960, and blend these characters together into this sh- into this this super team. And that's how we get the Avengers. Yeah. That's, that does sound like something you take a run-up with at first. You don't immediately lump them all in. They're doing it the same structure as the films. Let's... Let's let's break you in, buffer you in gently with each one, and then put them together, and then you're ready for anything. You're ready for any team in after that. I think you're right, but the, the the benefit the films have. I mean, the films are doing it intentionally. The comic books are yeah. not doing it intentionally. They just they it's it's making money. They look at their docket and they see we've got these five popular characters. Well, let's make another book. Let's try and get another nickel out of this kid's pocket <laughs> by putting them all together and, and making, making one, one comic with all of them in. Let's see if that works. A comic um, books are such and, a rich and, art form, rich art form. <laughs> let's, let's they are. Hey man, you got to make a dollar, got to make a dime. That's all I, I got to say. Them kids try <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> now uh, folks, uh, you know, by now that this podcast is full of a ton of, of Marvel trivia. Um, that's what you tune in for. And we love we love all the downloads we're getting. We love all the feedback we're getting. But there's so much more we give you, and there's so many amazing visuals that we talk about and, and that we want to share with you. So we've created a special place to give you all that extra info and images, put it all together um, into blogs that, that will accompany each of these episodes. So if you head on over to mar- uh, Patreon.com/slash Marvel versus Marvel, Patreon P A T. R-E-O-N dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We've got a blog detailing all the extra trivia and info from the Captain America episode is there. Um, there'll be uh, another blog accompanying this Avengers episode. There'll be more blogs added every week. It's absolutely free to access these blogs and all the extra trivia and, and info and visuals we're giving you. But there's also a way on there you can tip your boys, uh, become a patron of this podcast and help us out keep the the lights burning and um peter j burns has decided to do just that become one of our very first patrons he was sick will he was sick of getting all this content for free he'd had enough mad he did the right thing (laughs) he did the right thing he put his hand in his pocket he coughed up that cash as any good man should yes um and he he sent us a message to go along with his patron and his subscription he writes I love this podcast. I listen every Monday morning while I'm at work. You guys get better with every episode. I love the Captain America podcast. 
That's one of my favourite superhero films of all time. After finishing the episode, I went on to watch that terrible 1990s Captain America movie you mentioned, and that one is all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, sorry, sorry, Pete. (laughs) One day I'll Uh, watch that, but I I think I'm saving it. I'm saving it until we decide to ever cover it. Because I feel like I hey, need... Might, you never know. Yeah, I, I feel I need my full reaction for that one because I've seen the scenes that, like, like they show on YouTube, are like, hey, it's just Captain America being a dick and stealing people's cars. <laughs> it really it really beggars belief. Pete, Pete says it's got some great ideas, but none of them are pulled off whatsoever, and it just fails. Oh, God. Um, yeah, hey, but J.D. Salinger's son is in it, so what can you do? Oh, uh, keep up the good work. I'm glad I can support the podcast. And listen to this, Will. Oh, listen yes. to this. I'm listening. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Gird your loins. People always want something for nothing. Isn't that right? Yeah. People always want something for nothing, and then they wonder why the thing they like disappears. That, my friends, Peter J. Burns summing up the way we consume content in 2020. Everything's free, and then we cry when it goes away. But not not Pete. He put his hand in his pocket. He did the right thing. He's doing the heavy lifting for all y'all out there. Yeah. Uh, you can be like Pete if you want. Head on over to uh, patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Will, dig into that uh, mailbag I can see on your lap. Well, oh yes, this massive sack in my lap. Uh, yes, we have a couple of, uh, I want to say, letters. What should we call them? Communique? Because we're from the 30s. No, uh, uh, Telegrams. Telegrams. We'll say telegram because that's nice and friendly. Uh, Christopher J. Wood writes in uh, with a physical counter with a Marvel character. Spider-Man in the flesh at Mile End Cinema in the late 70s when the NAF's live-action Spider-Man TV show came out. Outside the US, they re-edited the first few episodes into a movie. Halfway through the screening, Spider-Man comes running down the aisle in the flesh as a promotion. Can you believe I asked my mum to take me to see this instead of Star Wars? (laughs) Oh! I'm not sure. I, you know what? If I was his age, though, I think I would have made the same choice. <laughs> I would have made the same choice. Like Spider-Man's a character I know. Star Wars, that's all brand new. I don't know. I don't trust. I don't trust those space those space monkeys. I don't know what's I, going on. Those scruffy-looking nerf herders. Uh, scruffy-looking nerf herders. Oh God, that is a good reference. Chris, I got to correct. I got to correct uh, Christopher J here, though. Mm. Um. They didn't. I mean, it wasn't a TV. He's not talking about a TV show in the seventies. He's talking about TV movies. Ah, so there were movies, you know, like crap movies made for television in the states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but over here, they got the. Um, they didn't like edit a bunch of episodes together. It was a full length, like hour and a half movie. Um, um but over here, it wasn't broadcast on TV. It got a, a little, little cinematic release. A limited um, release. So yeah. nice try, Christopher J. Wood. You tried to out trivia. This podcast and he failed. <laughs> Try again. I, I will say though, uh, Christopher J. Woods is a friend of mine, and the uh, he, he does have a thing that he always remembers. Uh, we went to see Star Wars Episode Eight together, and the one thing he remembers is me complaining about an X-wing doing a handbrake turn in outer space because I complained very loudly <laughs> about that. 
I know some things about space physics, and you can do a handbrake turn, but there's no point whatsoever. You just turn around. You don't skid. There's no traction. There's no gravel in space. God. There's... Stick that in a t-shirt. I think there's no gravel in space. There's if a, we're going to get merch, I, I think that's a pretty good slogan to go with. There's no gravel in space. Where are we listen, going? Listen, listen here, listen here, movie executives. There's no gravel in space. Yeah, stop doing the stupid, inconsistent sci-fi rubbish. Make it real <laughs> and boring and confusing. Uh, we've also got what uh, else is in that mailbag? Well, I was about to say we got one from Laura Monmouth who got in touch with us to say she has a childhood connection to the MCU. The kid who sat behind me in maths played Captain America's scrawny body model through the first quarter of the first Avenger film. Later on in the movie, he appears as a barman. Wow. Uh, Now, if that's me, folks, if that's me, my Tinder profile forever would read Chris Evans' body double. <laughs> I would never change it. I would take that. T- I put it on my my tombstone. Would read Chris Evans' body double. I don't need to explain that. It's oh. it's true. It's technically true. Imagine how do they hire those? I always thought this when I was a kid growing up. Mm. You remember the wonderful Hattie Jakes, Hattie fantastic Jakes. British British comedian, but she's a big lady, and she always kind of played a lot of those big lady roles. Mm. And you see a lot of those on like, the two Ronnies. Yeah. And the Russ Abbott show, and there'd always be a gag that needed, not necessarily always a woman, but they needed someone to be the ugly person, the butt of the joke. And I would be like, "That is gonna, that that's gonna feel crap to get hired that way." <laughs> like <laughs> Jeff, you got a job, but it's one of the ugly roles again. <laughs> like being, we, I mean, whoever that, that Laura Monmouth's friend like got hired because he is so physically scrawny. It is abnormal to think that he could be heroic. That's what that casting was all about. Like, I'm sure he's glad for the payday and he wants to be in the movie, but that's gotta that's gotta hit you both ways. I know, I know, but I, I think I think they're, they're they're mature artists. They look at it as just a way to keep the gas bills. Uh, paid and they go yeah i could be a thin man in a film for a bit for a tenner i will do that for a tenner that will be nice gives i can a, buy a cat gives a tenner gives a tenner i'll i'll be a thin man in a film yeah <laughs> yeah um, that's how it works that's it'd how take it'd take me more than a tenner uh, it would take me probably about eight years of work to become a thin man for a film so i don't think i could uh <laughs> i don't think a tenner is gonna survive me um Thanks for your messages. Thank you very uh, much. Don't forget you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And will how do they get in touch with us? How where do they send their electronic pages? They can send their electronic pages via email to marvel versus marvel at gmail dot com. Now, just to check, that's Marvel vs Marvel, right? Uh, do is it no. Ma- no, it's yeah, is the it full actually, word. It's the full, it's the full word, word versus V E R S U S Marvel versus Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Sorry, we did that at the same time then. And for one bizarre moment, I thought we were going to sync minds uh, and forever become one entity. And now I we're going to have to explain things to uh, the people I live with. And but my that didn't uh, happen. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> well, there are upsides. <laughs> um, so, we told you how we got here publication wise. We've told you how you can do the right thing. 
uh, and we've uh, we've been into that mailbag, and we've read some of those wonderful wonderful messages that keep coming our way. As uh, without further ado, Will, I think it is time for a little dive into that seminal and, as you said, groundbreaking, cinematic, shaking Avengers movie. So why don't you, my friend, take us away? Okay, so here's the Avengers. The film starts. Loki makes a deal with a mysterious figure in exchange for stealing the Tesseract for him and his master. Loki is promised an alien army called the Chitauri with which he can conquer the Earth. So, it's very cosmic at the beginning, very Flash Gordon feel to the start, isn't it? You think Flash Gordon? I think Flash, I think Gordon, Flash Gordon wishes they had this budget. Like, this okay. Is... I mean, <laughs> I, I suppose because they kind of got they kind of got some like crumbling, crumbling masonry and some like thrones and stuff, but but kind of like out with exposed to to space somehow. Um, it looks a lot like classic Asgard from the comics to me. It 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 probably does look like, but for me, when I think Flash Gordon, I think, oh, is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? Oh, let's put them both in a bucket and see what comes out when we tip it over. That's a great point, and that also um, is really indicative of what Mar- kind of cosmic Marvel, which I'm really excited to get to when we when we do we touch on there. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Cosmic Marvel is one of my favourite aspects of the Marvel Universe, especially in recent recent tellings post-2000. Um, and that, it really is. It's a blend of fantasy and sci-fi, which I think is just wonderful. Um, to be able to pull that off is is, is kind of cool, man. Um, it's hard to but do But it did fancy. look to me like... They... I was about to say, it's hard to do fantasy and sci-fi because usually they negate each other, don't they, in terms of genre? Because one's about magic, one's about uh, science and what could be. Like one suppose fantasy by its very nature isn't real, but science fiction yeah, is a bit of real. There's a bit of real in yeah, there. Yeah, th- they have to dance around it when you get into superhero comics, and you often Obviously. have people like yeah. Iron Man say, "Ah, oh, well, um, magic is just a type of science I don't yet understand." Um, <laughs> you know, to kind of explain it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's but it is mixing the worlds together, and I guess that is you know what have we had so far in. Um, in these podcast episodes, we've had science, science, and then here comes uh, a blonde Viking god um, with some super, super magic and fantasy. Yeah, it's, it's a bit left field, but somehow it fits. This is what I like about it. Even when they get in something fantastical, it's like, okay, we have a Viking god. Hey, somehow it's, he's able to gel with a team. <laughs> yeah. yeah I like well, that. we'll see, won't we, oh, as, we uh, oh. as we power through. Indeed. So, uh, before we do power through, though, now, the Chitari, that, that, that isn't something they've invented from the film, isn't it? That is that is from the comics, right? Those are villains from the comics. Well, well. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, they're not from the regular Marvel Universe. Ooh. Like, all the, all the universe and the continuity we've been talking about, mm. which we kind of informally called 616. Reality yeah. 616 is the designation for our Marvel Universe. Yeah. Um, they don't They don't exist. They did not exist there. In In the year... We have to take a trip back to the year 2000. So back in the year 2000, Marvel got kind of new, new heads in charge and after going bankrupt in the 90s, Oof. they were trying to really draw themselves out and make some exciting deals and get some new readers. And they decided to do that by launching a whole new line of comic books 
with a, a fresh continuity and give their characters a, a fresh start in the modern world. So, issue one is day one of all these kind of characters. They, you don't have to rely on 60 years of, of, of comic book history. It was called Ultimate Marvel. They updated characters. So, Spider-Man uh, was a 15-year-old kid in the year 2000. Wait, was, you uh, see, was Ultimate Marvel the moment when they went, ah, why are they all wearing spandex? Can't they just all wear leather and look really serious? Um, well, yes and no. There's a lot <laughs> um, of that today. Sort of. Yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> yes so, and no. Um, generally, uh, generally, yes. Yeah, so the the mm. X-Men kind of stopped wearing masks. The ultimate X-Men, sorry. Um, and and with the Avengers, um, these crazy British people called Mark Miller, uh, who you may who may know some of those other things he's created, like um, Kick Ass yep, and uh, the want, Wanted and and all that kind of stuff. But early on in his not early on, but you know before before his career went stratospheric with that, he was part of reimagining the Avengers as like a bombastic action movie. Wow, uh, it's, it's it's kind of adult and it's edgy. The Hulk is uh, a cannibal monster. Ooh, uh, he will eat his enemies alive. Um, Cap is a gruff GI from the forties. <laughs> he has odd attitudes towards women because oh. he's from the forties. Um, Thor is either an actual Norse god. Or he's a schizophrenic that stole some advanced weaponry, and it's never kind of revealed. Um, yeah, and the, the, they're not called the Avengers; they're called the Ultimates. And they're yeah, the the Chitari are a race of reptilian shapeshifters in in the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Can I just stop you there? From what you told me about that reimagining of the Avengers, that doesn't sound like Mark Miller. That sounds like Frank Miller. <laughs> I would disagree. <laughs> of course, you um, would. I, I just like I know. I just heard. Gruff, I get what I you mean dark, because yeah. yeah, no, that's Mark Miller's. Mark Miller is not happy unless his comic book has rape in it. That's Mark Miller for you. He yeah. uh, he needs a editorial guide to control the stuff he does. Anyway, um, the the Tatari are like a, a race of reptilian shapeshifters in Ultimate Marvel. Um, mm. They have been secretly infiltrating and undermining human society for decades. They pulled the strings during the Second World War and the Cold War. Cap has unknowingly been fighting them for, for years. And then we find out later on their true appearance, their natural appearance, and one of their many names throughout the cosmos, Skrulls. Oh, which there of course, we go. We'll we'll encounter way down when we get to Captain Marvel. So in a weird roundabout way, the Chitauri in the Ultimate Universe are the Skrulls. Um, I'm not entirely sure why they went that direction and didn't just do the Skrulls, but there you go. There's some yeah, it was an odd time for creative decisions. Regular since the movie came out, this movie we're talking about, um, the regular universe introduced a separate alien race, not the Skrulls, but they're called the Chitauri, and they're modeled after the movie. The movie aliens we see, pretty much mindless drone creatures, kind of almost insect-like. You know, you've obviously got some that can. You've got massive, huge ones like the behemoth we see, and mm. little worker dudes, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they 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 didn't they they did exist before the movie, but in a different form, and then they kind of exist like it now. It's yeah. 
Okay, so that's it's just Atari. It sounds like not not retconning. I'm not going to say retconning again because you'll yell at me for incorrectly using retcon. Uh, that's right. <laughs> No gatekeeping, but we're happy to yell at Will for incorrectly using lingo. That's right. So they they really just repurposed them. They've repackaged, repurposed. They've rebadged it, you fool. They've they've rebranded the Chachari or the Scrolls, whatever. They've basically split the two apart. So interesting, interesting. So we've got them to see later in the film uh, when they side with Loki. But back to the narrative. So Nick Fury and his Lieutenant Maria Hill arrive at a research facility during an emergency evacuation. Thor's friend, Dr. Selvig, is experimenting on the Tesseract, which has begun radiating an unusual form of energy. The Tesseract suddenly activates and opens a wormhole, allowing Loki to reach Earth. Loki bum, takes bum, the Tesseract... Bum, bum, bum. I, really should, I really should prepare for the bum-bum-bums. We could really do some amazing sinking. <laughs> so, bum-bum-bum... <laughs> Loki takes the Tesseract and uses his scepter to enslave Dr. Selvig and a few other agents, including Hawkeye, who help him in his escape. So, we talked about Loki before, and we decided that Loki was essentially uh, a weedy kid with magic tricks. And he's, he's a bit duplicitous, he's uh, double-handed, I'm going to use all the other similes I can for someone who's a bit two-faced. <laughs> he, he, he's, he doesn't have, like, 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 commitment to things, he's not a strong person, really, he just, he, he sometimes a bit strong-willed to what he wants, but he's never really a, a major threat, but here... He is surprisingly badass. He comes in throwing knives and stabbing people. And I'm like, where did he learn this? Uh, did he learn it in between magic tricks? <laughs> here's, here's what I reckon, okay? Like, what we saw was Loki amongst Asgardians and Frost Giants. Yes. This, this is like a 13-year-old going to push around a bunch of 8-year-olds, right? Now he's amongst uh-huh. m- mortals... What is a mortal going to do to the the god of mischief? <laughs> to an, an Asgardian, you know. I think I think he's working in there, Billy Big Bollocks, because he knows he's like head and shoulders above any of these prattling creatures, or so he thinks at the moment. Also, oh, I think. Yeah. I think. I mean, that's. I you know, there's nothing said about that, but I reckon that's what it is. He, that's why he's a great kind of villain. He. He is snivelling and kind of pretty pathetic whenever he's with people that are as strong or stronger than him. But whenever he's around, like, lower creatures, he's suddenly, yeah, get out of the way, I'm in charge. <laughs> he's an incredibly bitter person. He, he's, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he is one of those things. He wants validation, the, the, the shortcuts to validation. That's what he wants. He, he, he doesn't work for it. He just goes, oh, I've got an opportunity here. He's an opportunist. So, Only uh, fools and horses work, Will. Uh, Only fools and horses work. No income and tax, no guarantee. neither of those. <laughs> That's too bloody right. So that was quite an entry from Loki. I mean, uh, also, remember the uh, at the end of Thor when we saw uh, Loki looking at Dr. Selvig as he's looking at the Tesseract? Now, Loki hasn't arrived yet. Is that him watching him from another dimension? Is that what it's supposed to be? Because that would make sense. Um, I, I, I get. See, I'm so used to 
uh, Loki's illusions from the comic books that I I assumed it was an illusion. Yeah, that would be that like would a be mental good. projection. Yeah, but it could have been he he could have been invisible in the room and invisible. I mean, we don't see where he goes at the end of. I mean, for it to it does kind of sync up right at the very start. The weird stranger dude, who apparently online is called the other, but that's not written down. We never no one says that in the movie, so whatever. Um, he he sort of talks about. When when my master found you and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, there's obviously a scene there, isn't there, where whoever the master is, it's Thanos. Whenever the whoever <laughs> the master is, when he finds him, he obviously kind of, I don't know, retools him and uh, yeah, sets him down his path, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So obviously he's had some help there. It's it's um. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, we we've pretty much answered our question there because I, I I thought it was a bit confusing and inconsistent, but it's just like, yeah, this is Loki; he can do anything. Also, on a subject, so I noticed the start of the film around this point, the uh, the theme kicks in. Now, there was an argument that I uh, saw online a video that said the Marvel films uh, don't have memorable soundtracks. They they asked people, what's the what's the theme to ET? What's the theme to Jurassic Park? All these John Williams esque films, like what's the theme? What's the theme to Back to the Future? And they said, okay, now hum me the theme from one of the Marvel comics films. And people froze and were like, uh, and they went into this big thing saying the one thing lacking from Marvel Cinematic Universe is a good score. However, I will uh, put an exception to that rule and say that the Avengers theme is one of the most rousing pieces of music I have ever heard in a long time. I, I completely agree with you and i think we saw that as well with the captain america movie we did uh, in the last episode yes yes that the w- score and the theme the theme in that is fantastic um you get alan silvestri little, yeah you get alan silvestri you get good stuff i think it's a little unfair right apply the same um setup and then ask those people hum me the theme from avatar Hum me the theme from The Fast and the Furious. Pick any movie franchise and say, hum me the theme from that. And you're not going to get it. I think it's it's modern movie themes are in the toilet. Um, not just the Avengers. I just think... I, I can't think of the last memorable theme I heard from a thing that got... You know, from a movie, from a franchise, from a tentpole that got stuck in my head. There's can o- you? There's only two I can think of. And that... Obviously, the Avengers. Every time I hear the theme... That, like. That's that's the last movie theme I've heard. The other one is the theme they used for Wonder Woman in the Justice League. It's like doo 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 doo. You know, kind of like the drums are coming in, and there's a bit of guitar playing. It's not entirely memorable and catchy, but you do your ears prick up the moment you hear it and go, "Oh yeah, that's the Wonder Woman thing." I think I'd need to see a, a, a dozen more exact. You know, what I mean, I'd like so. With these earlier ones, they are movies. E.T., how many times have you watched that as a kid? Oh. Dozens. Yeah. Jurassic Park, dozens. It's that repetition that does it. Now, the Avengers, you, you get that. We, we've had it not just in the first one, but in all the other movies. So that repetition makes, kind of enshrines it in your head. Okay. Um, I think I'd need to see another, like, four or five Wonder Woman films or hear it in a, in in a Justice League movie that I'm not going to watch before it would kind of connect with my brain. And frankly, no theme is worth me sitting through in a, a Justice League film. No, no. Oh, we're going to avoid those. So, moving away from the theme, uh, is Maria Hill a comic book character? Because she's quite prominent in this 
for for someone who's she's yeah nowhere near as prominent as she is in the comics. In the comics, she's a huge character. Okay, so just demoted she, her really, haven't they? Yeah. Um, in the comic books, Nick Fury wages this private little war on a foreign nation, a little <laughs> black ops deal. Wow. He kind of uh, corrals and blackmails a bunch of um, Marvel characters into flying to this foreign nation and uh, overthrowing the government and destroying their 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 setup completely. Um, and that then comes back to haunt him massively. Uh, he gets deposed from S.H.I.E.L.D. He's wanted for treason um, and he has to go on the run. And so Shield needs a new director. Yeah. And they appoint one of the lowest down the wrong agents in Shield, who is Maria Hill. Okay. And the idea the idea is that Fury Fury um ages very, very slowly because he's got something in his system called the Infinity Formula, which kind of keeps him in very good health and makes him live a long time mm. and age slowly. So Fury has been running Shield since the end of the Second World War, uh, and in 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 modern comics he goes all the way back to the Second World War. He's not he doesn't exist on a sliding time scale. He's like Cap. He's frozen. You know he there are certain points in time where you can't get away from it. And Nick Fury was there in, in the Second World War, so he's been running Shield for decades. Hmm. The entire Shield infrastructure are his mates, his like supporters, <laughs> his. Cadre of buddies that he's trained. So Shield you know, is pe- all about cronyism. It's cronyism. Well, to a certain extent, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's. I mean, I'm sure Nick Fury would say he's just trained the best, uh, and that's why they're there. Okay. But if you're if you are outing him for being a traitor, you can't have any of his supporters take that role. So you can't go to the next guy in line to promote him because. He's one of Fury's supporters. Yeah. And the third person in line, and the fifth, and the tenth. So they have to reach way down the agency to, to Maria Hill. Completely unqualified for the job. And immediately, all the heroes in the Marvel Universe suspect her of being corrupt. Because they think there's a conspiracy to, that was there to get Fury out of power. They think the conspiracy is still going on. And they think that Maria Hill's kind of complicit in it and corrupt in it. Or she is so unqualified she's going to be completely inept. Um, yeah. And it's actually... She slowly but surely proves herself to be neither of those things. Mm. She starts to realise that she's in the middle of this massive conspiracy. And she proves herself to be very capable in the role. Very different from Fury, but very capable. She um, she operates with a different mandate, uh, which is to distance S.H.I.E.L.D. and the World Security Council from the superheroes. No no more support is coming their way. So while she's not a villain, she kind of acts as an antagonist. She's a barrier. She's an obstacle. She, she tries to stop the Avengers from reforming, and there's a few other things like that. And It kind of all blows up she sound- during Civil War. She sounds like an overactive bureaucrat. Um, we we've got one of those coming up. See uh, see Henry Guyrich. She is not an overacting bureaucrat. She is very much concerned with world peace, but has a different perspective than we do on the heroes. 
Um, she does not work with Nick Fury. She's in fact in charge of bringing him in. Um, wow. And it was you know she'll get shut down at some point. She ends up helping um, Stark and Captain America and Thor independently at various different times. And for my money, she's one of the best additions to the Marvel Universe post post year two thousand. She's a brilliant character. Great. Uh, so, so really, it's quite ironic that she's a lieutenant working under Fury instead of trying to bring him in. I mean, is there a ref- yeah. is that a reference to something in the comics, or is it just, hey, we need uh, Nick Fury to have a second in command? How about that chick who almost who pretty much ran Shield? I think that's it. They uh, they need a a high ranking um, they need a high ranking kind of like a name like a character name that people will will know and associate with Shield. Needed to be his kind of right hand, and she 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 kind of fits that bill a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. it to me she it's difficult seeing her in that junior position uh, because of the comics. Not difficult, but it just strikes a little odd. You kind of want I kind of want Fury to get you know get accused of being a traitor and have her run things for a little bit. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I I. I it do, yeah, you are right. What they needed is just they needed someone to fit a role, really. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So again, not retconning, just repurposing. So, so we got that, we got that, we got that sorted. Then, so continuing with the story, in response to Loki's attack, Fury activates bomb, bomb, bomb the Avengers Initiative. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I love the fact it's called an initiative. It just it just sounds cool. <laughs> It's kind of intelligence-based, spy-based, military-based, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, S.H.I.E.L.D. need help tracking down the Tesseract's gamma radiation emissions. So, the Black Widow is recalled from an active mission and sent to recruit Bruce Banner from his remote hideaway. Also, Agent Coulson visits Tony Stark to have him review Selvig's research. And Fury approaches Steve Rogers with an assignment to retrieve the dangerous Tesseract. So, a lot going on. Now... Uh, one there, there was quite there's quite a few things. They're doing a nice little bit of vignettes, little bit of uh, montage of what's happening with each of the team as they come together. Uh, there is quite funny. Captain America do, doing the punch bags and he knocks it off, and then there's a whole line of them ready to be hung up so he can break them again. Lovely little touch. Uh, really loved that. I also loved the uh, chair foo scene with uh, Black Widow where she's fighting the Russian people while she's strapped to a chair. But I like the fact that uh, Agent Coulson rings them on the phone and goes, we've got an F-22 out there. If you don't put her on the phone if you, or if anything happens to her, we'll, we'll bomb you immediately. And then as she starts fighting them, she he's still listening on the phone. Not only that, it sort of cuts back to him and he's sort of nodding while listening to them being beaten up like, okay, I'll just wait for her to finish. <laughs> it was just such great little cutback shots. It's a great scene. And I think it really establishes her character. Mm. Um within this team you know because it's been a it's been a bit of a uh bit of time since we've seen her in iron man 2 hasn't it oh yeah totally um, and to see her function in a different role you know because she went from being a spy and you know like, like a, an infiltrating spy in the in that iron man 2 to now she's in kind of a combat role although they use her very deftly in it i think yeah definitely she's got there's a subtlety if you've got a subtle mission you need you need black widow for it Oh, definitely. The thing is, she does she she does get involved in a bit of, of scrapes that you wouldn't expect a spy to get into. But that's the great thing about her; she's quite uh, dynamic. Okay, she can sneak, but she can also be good in a war. She can sneak and she can uh, freak. 
No, not freak. <laughs> that means something else. I was trying to think of something that rhymed with sneak that meant fight, and I went for freak, and that's not the right word. I because that means something else. We will not explore that definition. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe join us on our adult over 18s podcast to talk about. Uh, the Black Widow and how she's a freak. <laughs> we say willies a lot. Uh, also, Mark Ruffalo, the Gruffalo Mark Ruffalo as uh, Banner. Great, great casting, by the way. I know we've talked about how good Ed Norton was in The Incredible Hulk. And yes, I did enjoy his role in that, even though I do think Ed Norton isn't a very standout actor. I really love Mark Ruffalo I, uh, in this. I like... I, 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 um, yeah... I, I just—he just does that Mark Ruffalo face all the time, and he grin. He does that half grin. What unsure? And unsure. And that's kind confused. of it. I, I know. He's just not. He, he honestly, I think he's a pale comparison to Ed Norton oh. in that role. Okay. Norton bristles with um, with deep seated trauma, <laughs> <laughs> and. Ruffalo has none of that. He's just like, hey guys, I'm just an average. I'm just Mark Ruffalo. You kind of want to have a beer with me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You'd be good playing Ant Man. <laughs> I don't think you work playing Bruce Banner. Well, yeah, but we've got to court Disney, haven't we? Disney want to take over, so we got to get the Gruffalo out. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You got to get rid of that the person that looks like they're mentally disturbed. <laughs> That's if you're gonna get if you're gonna make this as part of a Disney franchise. But yes. Uh, I, 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 I know this is like one of those stupid ways to talk your way out of an argument, but it is down to personal taste. But I will say, yeah, you're absolutely right. You do want someone playing the Hulk with an air of trauma. Yeah. A whiff of trauma. They, they've got to look haunted all the time. Like, they go to sleep, and, and when they wake up, they're a giant monster smashing through Las Vegas. <laughs> like, you just can't... You, you have no life. You're on the run. You're a fugitive. Mark Ruffalo looks like he's just got himself a nice chai latte from Starbucks and he's just going to go and read it in the park and just have a lovely day. Yeah, but he's cute when he does it. <laughs> yeah, that's he is. And that's, yeah, it don't work for me. Yeah, that's fine. I like him. I like him. I just don't, don't work in the role. Also, other casting choices in the film. When Fury's talking to the council, two actors in there that, are fairly, that were fairly big one point, Powers Booth and Jenny Agatha. Play two of Jenny the- Agatha. Woof, Jenny Agatha. Uh, <laughs> oh, bit of something for the dads. Something for the dads. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put Jenny Agatha in. Oh yeah. Get the dads in. You 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 watch your you watch your fighting movie. I'm gonna look at Jenny Agatha. Oh yes. In walk about. I remember her in the oh. <laughs> American Wealth in London. Where she gets a- And she she crops up in a uh, she she maintains that role in, in, in further she's in a bunch more. Um I think we see her in Winter Soldier and Civil War, I think. Oh, and Powers Booth, I take it, because he died recently. I'm not sure if he's in the, well, the ones I haven't checked. Oh, yeah, but you can tell it's Powers Booth from the voice. The voice is absolutely threatening. Even when he's speaking about, like, I don't know, what kind of orange he wants, he is threatening. A threatening man. Yeah, he. he I mean, he's got to be silent in the bedroom, I reckon, Powers Booth. <sighs> I reckon he can't. Like <laughs> you just think, oh, this guy's threatening me. No, I'm, I, you've, you've killed the mood again, Powers. You've <laughs> killed the mood. That can't be his real name either. I, no, no one, no one calls their child Powers. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your name? Your what are you going to name your your child? I was thinking about the word power. What the word power for a name? Yeah. No, wait, wait. 
pluralize it. More than one power. Powers. Powers. I like that. Oh god. It sounds like um you know you know you you go to like uh you know if you need to go and rent a car you go to the car rental booth. Yeah. And that's where you rent your car from. They call the car rental booth. Yeah. Like if you need powers you got to go to the powers booth. The powers. Oh where's the powers booth? Oh it's just down there at the airport. It's that's where you're going to get your superpowers from. Oh who who's behind the counter today? The guy with the creepy voice. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm powers booth. Anyway, getting too far into Jack Bauer territory. Okay, also another point. Uh, around this point, we do get to see uh, the shield carrier. And and I know that Marvel haven't really gone down that 90s Batman line of turning everything into a toy. I know they have in the past. I know you can get action figures. But the heli carrier, the shield heli carrier, just screams, please, we put this in here so we definitely have to market a toy. Oh, and it's invisible. Oh, you can 100% get the helicarrier. I reckon there's a Lego version of it already. There must be a Lego version. Yeah, yeah, there was the normal version for for the action figures, and there's a big Lego version as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's insane on one thing. It's like, oh, let's let's have an aircraft carrier, but it flies like in Captain Scarlet. But it's like, you make it invisible as well. And they do this with a few things now in Marvel films. It's like, oh, yeah, we got this, we got this. Oh, and it's invisible. (laughs) Is that a standard upgrade? But once you've got... Listen, if you're a spy agency and you can make things invisible, you make everything invisible. Like, (laughs) there's no other way to operate, is there? You're a spy agency. (laughs) You can't not make things invisible if you can make things invisible. Do you know what I think? Do you know what I think whenever I see anything... The overuse of invisible things like that? I think of SpongeBob SquarePants with uh, Captain... What was it? uh, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy with the invisible boatmobile and it was just them sat oh, down right. and, and they, it just you never it was like it's like Wonder Woman's invisible jet but they go to the invisible boatmobile and it's like they're driving a car but you can't see the car and it's like this is supposed to be impressive but it looks really dumb <laughs> does 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 Wonder Woman have that plane in the movie That's, I don't remember much I, of that movie I don't think she did have an invisible plane in the movie I think they were <laughs> saving that for later cuz if you're going to do Wonder Woman it's like you want to save it's like doing Batman. When you do Batman, you don't want to have Robin right away. You want to introduce that. You want to break people in later, that sort of thing. If you do the invisible plane with the Wonder Woman right away, people are going to go, yeah, I was up I was up with you with the whole Amazonian uh, warrior princess thing, but invisible plane, come on. I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it proud. Stop making movies for normies. <laughs> they are bad. They have enough. They have enough things. They have... Sport, they have most of all other movies. F them. Stop writing superhero <laughs> movies to appeal to normies. This is not for them. This is gatekeeping. This is gatekeeping. This is gatekeeping, but it just. Oh. That was the thing about Wonder Woman's um, Invisible Plane is that. It like it rose to fame in the old Super Friends cartoon series yeah. from the 60s, 70s, where. The whole plane is invisible, but she isn't. <laughs> she, you just see her flying through the space, like like you're saying that SpongeBob thing. So what's the point of it? I know. At least with the heli carrier, it makes sense. They got they got panels. They, they they make they make the science work. Even though that thing must. Oh god, it would take so much power to do that, and the amount. Stop of, it! No, I'm analyzed. It's, it's, stop it! <laughs> it's a superhero story. I stop it! I can't help it. I must find logic in things. 
So yeah, that's the shield carrier. I'll talk about that more as the events go on because that it plays a large part in the film. So the Avengers are formed, right? The Avengers form. They they hunt them down. They're part of Nick's Fury Initiative. It's his thing to save the world, to shield the world, if you will. Is that how it happens in the comics, Rob? No. Oh no God. no no. Um, Nick Nick Fury and, and Shield haven't been uh, invented yet. When the when the Avengers come around, um, but Loki's involved. So Loki is it, the sixties are a very simpler time in storytelling. Yeah. Uh, Loki's been trapped in Asgard after screwing with Thor. Yeah. So he decides to screw with Thor some more, um, and he 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 kind of. He kind of project like he astral projection. He like casts his mind and his spirit down to Earth, even though he's trapped in in, in Asgard. And he sees the Hulk, and he immediately goes, "I want to make that guy beat my brother up. That's my mission. That's what oh, I want today. I want the big green thing to beat my brother up." So he uses various illusions to create this kind of media frenzy about the Hulk going on a rampage when that hasn't happened. <laughs> and uh, we talked about in, in the in the Hulk episode. Hulk has this sidekick in the comics called Rick Jones, and Rick Jones tries to get some help to to because he sees this media frenzy about the Hulk going on a rampage, and he's not sure if it's true, mm. but he needs some help. So he he gets together his his bunch of pals, the Teen Brigade, <laughs> a brigade of teenagers. Like it's the nineteen sixties. Teenagers was a new concept. <laughs> Teens, we can do things. We're not quite children, but we're also not adults. <laughs> and and they use uh, ham radios to broadcast a message. They try and get a message to the Fantastic Four to come and help the Hulk, help them find the Hulk. Uh, Loki screws the message so that Thor will hear it. Uh, but by doing that, it also gets broadcast to Iron Man and Ant Man and Wasp. And so that's what kind of brings them together. Meanwhile, the Hulk is at the circus pretending to be a robot clown. Oh my god! Uh, no, sorry, that can't that, that that can't be right. Let me just check my notes. No, that's right. The Hulk is at the circus pretending to be a robot clown. The Hulk, in order to hide from the world, has gone to the circus, put on clown makeup, and told everyone he's a performing robot called Meccano. Meccano, the performing clown robot. Um, and the Hulk entertains the crowds by juggling an elephant, a horse, and a seal. Wow. Uh, that's where the Hulk is, hiding out at the circus. Um, it's a crazy story, that the first Avengers one. It involves some of the weirdest sci-fi cross... Well, I don't think Stanley He's lost all grip of reality in this one. So Loki is able to create these optical illusions like holograms. Mm. You know, you know what holograms look like. You oh, know, yeah. illusions. They're they're just they're not real. They're made of just light. You just see them. They're a funny kind of Thor, gas. <laughs> if Thor spins his hammer very very fast, the optical illusions get blown away. What does he um, mess with the refresh rate or something? So I don't know what that means, Will. I don't know what that means. I, 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 it sounds like a technical thing. It is. It's to do with televisions and it flickering. S- stop it. No. I, I will not be <laughs> gatekeepered about my technical knowledge. You're, just, you're making this comic book movie podcast too nerdy. <laughs> There's you're a geek level. 
there's a geek level and a nerd level, and I've gone too far to the nerd level. Too far. Yeah, too far, sorry. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a really bizarre story. Um, to avoid getting captured, Loki snaps his fingers and makes himself radioactive. <laughs> uh, so none of the other heroes can get close to him. Uh, but luckily, stay with us. Go, luckily, go, Gadget Chernobyl. Radioactive Loki is stood on a trapdoor. <laughs> so Ant Man sends his ants to pull a lever, <laughs> opens the trapdoor, and Loki falls into a lead lined tank that just happens to be there. So now his radioactivity can't hurt anyone. That's the end of the Avengers' first. Adventure. Why did it have um, to stop there? It should have kept going. See how mental it could have gone. And despite all of that, the Wasp <laughs> says to everyone, this has gone really well. We should do this a lot. We should be a team. And they all say, yep. And then she calls them the Avengers for virtually no reason whatsoever. That's uh, bizarre and inspiring. And I'm really... I hope the Wasp uh, actually turned to the reader as she said, we should do this a lot more, wink. Because <laughs> that would be like, come on, this is this is this is this is marketing for the group thing. Come on, come on, we've got to do this. Okay, so and how are okay? That's how they're formed. How are how how and how connected are the Avengers to Nick Fury and Shield? Considering that the films made made, made yeah. a connection different way well, in the comics. I mean, not not really, not really. There's no there's no connection to begin with, okay. um, and there, there's certainly no connection to Shield or Fury. Kind of ever really. They they haven't. They work together, but that's way down the line. They the Avengers are completely funded by Tony Stark. Okay. The the Maria Stark Foundation. He gives them his mansion in the middle of Manhattan yep. for them all to live in and operate out of. Um, the team does start operating with like a U.S. government. Uh, man, not mandate, but like they get like government clearance and government intelligence, so they can investigate stuff and find out where trouble is. And they get these special Avengers ID cards, which let them trample through crime scenes and fly around New York with no approved flight plans and stuff. Um, and later on, the government get pretty annoyed at how much the membership of the team keeps changing without anyone in government being told about it. Um, <laughs> And so this brilliant character gets created and, and, and he comes around in the 1970s. He's called Henry Guyrich. Really really kind of horn-rimmed horn glasses and sharp military haircut. He's, he's, he's like a civil servant, basically. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, it's his job. He, like we said with Maria Hill, he's an antagonist without being a villain. Um, he puts a bunch of rules in place like, you can only have seven members. And if you want to change... You have to consult with us. Uh, we can't have anyone with a mask wandering into this mansion and having access to all the government information that we've got knocking around here. Um, so yeah, he's he's a great addition. Like I say, because you 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 generally hate him, but he has got a point, and he's not a villain. And yeah, he's basically and a dungeon a while, master. He's a dungeon master. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, for a while in the nineties. They operate with a UN. They're kind of operate. They're sanctioned by the UN instead of just America. Um, but then all of that comes to a head um, right around the time Maria Hill becomes director of Shield, mm. and then the Civil War kicks off, and it's all out the window. Then, wow. 
Okay, so that's quite a weird connection. That is quite a weird. Con- d- d- does I keep calling? I keep thinking about calling Guy Ritchie Henry Guy Rich, not Hen- not Guy Ritchie. Uh, Henry Garrett is is he ever? He should definitely. That's who should definitely play him though in the movie. Oh God, no! God, he'd be like, "Ray, banter, lads, Ray." All my films. He doesn't talk like that. He's from the home counties. He puts that voice on. Oh God, I didn't know that. Uh, You've made like Christian Bale. Christian Bale is Welsh. Oh yeah, but yes. He, but he does do a transatlantic accent. He goes, "I'm a I'm a British actor. I'm a British actor, but I don't really have an accent." I'll do London for you, then. London, yeah. At least Tom Hardy's genuine with it. Uh, Guy Henry Guy Rich has he ever been referenced, or does he pop up in the films at all? Uh, not in not in these films, and I think the issue is because he crops up in the X Men movies for Ooh. some reason. It, it's, it's it's odd because he's it's weird with the way they sold off their 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 properties before they established the Marvel the Marvel Studios to make the films. Mm. They sold off a lot of their properties. It's odd which characters they sold as part of it because I guess Guy Rich has has made appearances and, and, and been involved in X-Men storylines because he's kind of involved in quite a bit, but he's firmly an Avengers character. But they weren't making Avengers movies at the time, so I don't know whether somebody said, we need a government character, who can we have? Mm. And they included that guy in part of it, but... Yeah, there's a character we see in the Black Panther movie played by uh, Mr. Hobbit. Oh, Martin, Martin, Good- Martin, um, Martin Freeman. Yeah. I was going to say and Martin that, Goodman, that's... but that's Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> Martin Goodman. No, Martin Goodman's the publisher of Marvel Comics, mate. Oh, wait a minute. No, Martin, Go- <laughs> Martin Goodman's in Friday Night Dinner. Wait a minute, Martin Goodman. Yeah, he's, okay. char- he's the father out of Friday Night Dinner. That's the character's name, Martin Goodman. Wow, there we go. That's who we've got. That's where they took the name from. Obviously, big fans of this podcast. That'd be an ambitious crossover. Um, yeah, there's a character. There's a character in, in in Black Panther who's a little bit like him, but 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 yeah. not but sort of ish and not really. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. He's a bit. I thought I thought that was already an existing character. The, the the CIA agent he plays. Yeah, he he is. It's a different character. Okay. Everest something or other. Oh yeah, yeah. They just give they just give him made up last names that sound like other things. Okay, so while mind control, sorry, back to the story. While mind controlled, Hawkeye steals an element needed to stabilize the Tesseract's power. Loki uses his magic to cause a public distraction while threatening a large crowd of innocent people. Loki is opposed by Captain America, Iron Man, and Black Widow, who quickly defeat Loki and take him captive. While Loki is being escorted to Shield, Thor arrives to take his brother home to Asgard. Thor is drawn into a brief conflict with Cap and Iron Man, but the three heroes quickly forge an alliance, and Thor helps imprison Loki on Shield's huge flying warship. Now, a lot of stuff happens here. Now, I have to say, one of my favourite scenes um, in the entire film is is it Stuttgart in Germany? It's Stuttgart in Germany where where they get the uh, they get the element. For the Tesseract. Oh, yeah? They need they need the eye access. Basically, they, they need the eye access from someone. And they use a device that can read his eye via Bluetooth. But it does it in a way that's probably quite gruesome. Uh, because there's lots of noise. Oh. It's a bit... Yeah. Oh, it's a bit... It's a bit... But what I loved in that... Now, this is a bit of a movie nerd thing. So, I apologise. More nerdy stuff coming. What they do is, at the start of the scene, you hear... You see the quartet. And they're playing the music. 
But then everybody's panicking. The music's still playing. The music and the music carries the tone of the scene perfectly, more frantic. And the great thing about that, the music is making a change from <clears throat> the diegetic to the non-diegetic, which is a great cinematic uh, technique. And it's one of those moments where you go, "Ah, oh, this isn't this isn't just a theme park ride, Martin Scorsese. There's genuine genius happening here." It's it's a great yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a really it's a really good and having having that music. Um drive the tone or match the tone is uh, really makes that scene i think uh, matching uh, in terms of film uh, making film having having music flawlessly and smoothly match the tone of the scene like that it's it's mwah, it's just it's just such a nice a bit of filmmaking uh, i won't get too pretentious about marvel films i know it's popcorn fodder but there are some genuine moments of genius also oh yeah oh yeah absolutely but what I love is it comes out to the bit where Loki's surrounding these people and he's going kneel to them. And then it, it always brings a tear to my eye every time this happens. The one old German guy stands up and he goes, no. And he goes, you must kneel to me. He goes, he goes, there is not. And he goes, no, I won't. He goes, what was it? There, he goes, you've never seen anything like me. And he, with a knowing glint in his eye, he looks at him and goes, oh, there have always been people like you. Or something like that, and that has so much richness in the subtext. Like, oh, yeah. and then immediately, Captain America punches punches him, like completely swings and rescues everybody, and says, "You know, last time I was in Germany and saw someone kept towering over everybody, we had a disagreement." And I'm just thinking that's such a perfect way to start a fight. Some of the best lines there to start a fight scene. Sorry, I gush a bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it, it's that understated, it's understated cap as well. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do it. Whenever me and you do an American accent, we're doing a bombastic one. And and that's not how cap comes across. No, oh, totally. He's like, yeah. uh, it, like I said in, in, in the Captain America movie, he's he's Gary Cooper in High Noon. He's just, he's quite he's quite plain. He's, he's sim- like almost softly spoken. Authoritative, but, you know, I'm not, he's not John Wayne. Get off your horse. He's not that. He's just like, you know, last time I, I was in Germany, I had a disagreement with someone. It didn't go well for him. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what are you saying, fam? Uh, which is pretty much what Cap's doing there. Um, it, yeah, no, it's a great, great introduction to Cap. Great, really great, is. great mode. They have a nice fight and then... A very nice fight. Oh, it's a lovely fight. How was that fight? Oh, what, it, well, it wasn't bad, but nice it wasn't fight. great. It wasn't great. It was nice. Uh, <laughs> they have a, have a pretty good fight. And then immediately you see Scarlet... Uh, not Scarlet Widow. <laughs> Black Widow. The Scarlet Widow. Black Johansson. <laughs> Scarlet Johansson. Black Widow is piloting that little bloody VTOL aircraft thing they have. What's the name of that plane they have, by the, the way? Is there Quinjet. A, the Quinjet. Uh, the Quinjet. She's flying the Quinjet around and going, almost like a police helicopter going, drop the weapon, Loki. And it's like, oh, they're like a police force now. This is great. And then you hear Tony Stark. And then Tony Stark overrides the speaker systems with ACDC before taking out Loki. I mean, I, I'm going to gush a personal level here. I, I, I first watched this soon after it came out. And I watched it. I was drinking a lot when I was watching it. I was just watching it. And, and I had a tear in my eye for the whole thing. And right at that point, I rewound it and watched the whole thing again. The whole scene from the beginning because it was just too good. Like The last time I did anything like that was when one week in 2011, I watched Jurassic Park three times. Because I was <laughs> loving it so much. <laughs> 
I think it really it's a great scene. You're right, and and it really really shows the dichotomy between the personalities of Cap and Iron Man. Oh, absolutely. Kind of s- simple, plain spoken, and over the top, reckless. You That's know, a, like full of ego. One's one's an old fashioned actor. The other's a YouTube celebrity. <laughs> That's how they speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, when they're taking Loki back. And Thor intercepts him. Uh, another great line. So Thor takes Loki and Stark goes after him out of the Quinjet. And Cap stops Stark and says, we need a plan of attack. And without missing a beat, Stark lowers his helmet and goes, I have a plan. Attack. <laughs> great. Simple. It's, it's yeah, really cheesy yeah. wordplay, but it's just, oh, it, it gets me right there. It's just like, yes, that's what I wanted out of this. So... But it also it, 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 I, I, it also shows that despite the fact that Tony Stark is this uh, genius inventor, mm. he's also quite he's also very impulsive. Oh, he trusts God. himself too much, um, which is something we'll see in the next Avengers film, Age of Ultron. He just has too much confidence in himself. Oh God! It's he's... a very bad idea for him to attack Thor. It's a stupid <laughs> thing to do, but he doesn't. He really doesn't think that anything can go wrong when he's in charge of the plan. I I, th- I got my mum onto the Marvel films and uh, she absolutely... I think Iron Man's her favourite, maybe Groot as well. But she said, oh, I love Tony Stark, but he's a bit of a... Isn't he? You know, He's a bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> She's not wrong. We need to get your parents on the podcast, man. It's got to happen. <laughs> I, want, I want Marvel reactions from Will's parents. That's what I want. I'll try and work something out. So this is quite an important bit, obviously. So we've got Captain America, Thor and Iron Man meeting together for the first time in the MCU. This is a moment. Yeah. I mean, how... Oh, yeah, yeah, huge. It's huge, huge. Uh, how significant are they to the Avengers? Oh, they... Well, they kind of they kind of are the Avengers, really. They're, they're, they're the, the big three. The big three <laughs> of... Um, the big three of DC are Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Mm-hmm. The big three of Marvel... Despite the fact that really Spider-Man should be in there in terms yeah. of popularity, I guess. But the big three of Marvel are Cap, Iron Man, and, and Thor. The difference between those comics... In in the 60s, the Justice League, when it was launched, does not have Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman as characters in it. They're not in it. Yes, you mentioned. It's, it's, it's kind of a slightly next tier down of heroes. And characters, whereas the Avengers put all their popular characters together in one title uh, every month, and even more so than when Cap joined them, and he when when he joins them in the, in the fourth issue, and he becomes really popular with the, with the readership. Um, they, they've been the center of the Avengers for, for for decades. They they've traded leadership over the years, and there's been a few times when the Avengers were without any of the big three, but not for very long you would get times when it would just be cap and then some of the smaller characters just be iron man and some of the smaller characters and that kind of that gives space for some fun membership members to join the team um beast from the x-men has a really fun uh time with the with the avengers the black knight harry frazier wonder man they're kind of good fun sorry i always i always think of beast from the x-men as harry frazier Sure. Yeah, I, that's I, exactly what happens. We also we need we need yeah. a Niles for it, really. <laughs> Sherry, Beast. Niles should Niles should play one of the supervillains. I don't know which one though. 
Oh, that would be perfect. That would be a perfect coming. So they they are the core super team. And of course, I know Spider-Man was... I remember having the the conversation I had in the car, I mentioned at the beginning, about the Avengers. They did say, oh yeah, they were supposed to have Spider-Man, but Spider-Man's owned by Sony. Which was, yeah. I, I, I mean... Uh, what I don't know what that means. Supposed to have? Well, they they said the Avengers did include Spider Man. Spider Man no. was in the Avengers, not in the comics. I thought no. I, was, I, I was told he was in. No. Oh, okay. Not hanging around with so, those people again. Jeez. So, um, well into the at some point in the two thousands, they Spider Man has never ever been a part of the Avengers until the last maybe fifteen years, ten fifteen years. Okay. Classically, he's never been a part of any. He, he briefly did this Fantastic Four for four for two or three issues. And that's it. Spider Man's a loner. Ah, but then they 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 they. DC had had huge success in the nineties by putting all their top characters back into the Justice League. Yeah, not like how they when he launched it there in the sixties. They put everyone in it. All the big names that you'd know. That's the Justice League. So uh, Marvel followed suit in, um, in, I forget the year now, but once they destroyed the old team in Avengers Disassembled, they had um, Brian Michael Bendis took over the, the, the title as a, as a writer and did some awesome stuff. And part of it was, right, we're putting all our stars into it. So it's Captain America and it's Iron Man. It can't be Thor because he's dead. It's Captain America and it's Iron Man and it's Spider-Man and it's Wolverine, uh, and it's Daredevil, and it's uh, Luke Cage and, and Jessica Jones, all in in one in one team. What they say? Dragged uh, in so the that's... defenders. They d- they dragged in the defenders, basically. Uh, ye- yeah, but this is before they were defenders. Oh, okay, my bad. This is way way before that that get, exists. Get with the timeline, um, Will. <laughs> they were just popular. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis kind of defines those. Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. He created Jessica Jones, so. Uh, he's like, if I'm going to do the Avengers, I'm going to put my own character in it. Jessica Jones, there she goes, she's in it now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that, but that's that's the time that Spider-Man joins, and they would have known when they started the Marvel Universe that they did, they could not get the rights to Spider-Man. Oh, totally. They didn't have the money yet, and plus Sony, oh, they have got a tight grip, tighter than the grip of trying to get a PS2 game out of the console when it's not working correctly. <laughs> Hi, my name's Will Preston, and I'm all about the niche references. <laughs> I listen back to the last episode, and I count the ones that go over my head. And I go, no, I'm just saying the word yeah, and then moving on, because I, I had to look that one up. Not even going to Google that. Nothing of value will come from this. Okay, so I didn't know about that. I swear it was Spider-Man, but obviously, yep, didn't, didn't, didn't know that. So, we're on the helicarrier. Trapped in his cell, Loki manipulates the heroes and sows dissension amongst them. Cap discovers that S.H.I.E.L.D. planned to use the Tesseract to power dangerous weapons. (gasps) Cap has strong objections to the plans, which are eerily similar to the schemes of the Red Skull during World War II. Yeah, I thought that was really neat, wasn't it? Like it, it was. I completely forgot about that. I completely forgot that happened on the rewatching of this. I've watched this a few times. I completely forgot that uh, element of the story happened because he discovers the. It's hydrogen. a shame it doesn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that feels like a huge plot point, and I thought hmm. it was going to lead to more stuff. I think it leads on to the next Captain America film. 
I think I'll. I think it leads into that. But we'll talk about that when we handle the Winter Soldier. But it, I think it sows, sows the seeds for Captain America too, because. You might be right, yeah. Yeah, so he discovers a load of Hydra equipment, and that's not a great thing to see when you're fighting alongside. You discover, and we're talking old Hydra equipment as well. We're not, to, for some reason, they decide to store it on board the aircraft carrier, not in a bunker like normal people do. With the, Everybody owns a bunker, don't they, where you store your spoils of war. Uh, that- but it's also it's exactly it's exactly the the Hydra plan. Like what the last thing Cap did before he went in the ice was work to stop a government that couldn't be trusted from using the Tesseract to power weapons. Yep, a, a, a tearaway and, group from the from their own government. Yeah, and, and and so now he wakes up and how much he trusts these people, I don't know. But that's exactly what they're doing. Exactly what they're doing. Yeah, that's it's- yeah. It's a great, it's a great moment. Obviously, it's just for, it is sowing the seeds, but at the same time, it is to get them all arguing. They each have their own grievances while here. So the revelation divides the team, and as they argue over the ethics of super weapons, Hawkeye attacks the helicopter, helicarrier, sorry, by blowing up one of the airship's engines. Hawkeye throws Shield into chaos and causes Banner to transform into the Hulk. That's a bit we've been waiting for in this entire film, haven't we? We've waited, we, it, yeah. You just wait for Hulk to turn into Hulk. Banner's Chekhov's gun. <laughs> Chekhov's <He's>, um, <laughs> as soon as as soon as Bruce Banner's on the screen, you're like, uh, uh, yeah. when's it gonna? Uh, when's it gonna happen? Uh? It's, it's it's like he's like the uh, Marvel equivalent of uh, Harvey Harvey Dent. It's like, oh Harvey Dent, oh he's still got a whole <laughs> face. Well, we'll have to see what happens later, won't we? Stay I'm just away. Just gonna from- go near this cup of acid. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no, I'll leave that for oh, today. <laughs> oh no, must must make all my choices What's by flipping that? a coin. Is it is it Hot Tub Time Machine? Where it's a terrible movie, Hot Tub Time Machine. Where in the present day, somebody they meet at a ski resort has got one arm, and then when they go back in time, he's got two arms. And they keep coming back to the character throughout the movie, and he keeps doing ridiculously dangerous stuff. And they're like, "This is it, this is it." And then he he does, he does his arm doesn't come off at all. I thought in a terrible movie that was a, a kind of fun little bit. I I, I like that. I like that because it, it, you're playing with audience expectation there, and obviously audience expectation. Hulk turns into bloody Hulk, and that's what he wanted. So where was I? Where where was I saying? So. It, it it does get a bit mental. So there's uh, I want I want to talk a little bit about the Hulk because I noticed there's something very mental health about him during his transformation. It's like he is tearing himself apart mentally. He he's trying. He's holding back against something. It's like he's he's got, it is the embodiment of anger issues. Maybe a bit of bipolar in there where you got some kind of mood swings or whatever. Maybe I'm just throwing buzzwords about. But there is there is an element to it that I noticed. There's a little subtext with the Hulk. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, he 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 has he has represented um, anger issues, and uh, you know, it perhaps wouldn't have been called depression in the sixties or maybe even in the seventies, but by the time Peter David comes to write the character in the nineties, he recognizes that um, that the Hulk and Banner is all about mental health problems. Yeah, you know, and and he he creates this idea that there's um, a, a split personality, but. That's a that sometimes in fiction is a convenient way of it's a, a split personalities are a convenient plot device yeah. in in fiction quite a lot of the time but I, yeah you, you're absolutely right we've and if you've ever been there with mental health as I have and yeah. many many people have you do know what it's like when you're 
trying really hard to to not to not let it get the better of you. You're trying mm. to hold your anger in, your your disappointment, your frustration, your rage, your whatever. So yeah, I, and I think the Hulk really does represent that and and display it very nicely. I, I saw that more so in this than I saw in the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk, they had more science thrown into it. In this, he was getting pissed off. Like, like yeah. he didn't have the watch on him. He didn't have the heart rate thing. He wasn't he wasn't going. Oh no, this needs to be a thing. He, he looked distressed. It wasn't yeah. a controlled thing, and that's that's what made me think. Ah, mental health. Great, great scenes with the Hulk. Great scenes with the Hulk. Um, but it did make me also think. Uh, I, I'm coming back to it. I don't care how much you yell or it goes over your head or what. <laughs> I, I don't care. The, the, the Shield Helicarrier has the same problems with the Death Star. The, the one thing that keeps it going is unguarded. They could put a mesh net over the over the rotor. I work. Okay. <laughs> I, what, like my, the, the, the thing they used to keep pigeons away from the top of buildings? Yes! Yes! That would help! <laughs> that would genuinely... No, I, I, I work as a QA during the day, quality assurance, we find problems, we fix problems. Who QA'd this ship? Because they must have had like, oh, by the way, uh, there is a huge gaping hole over the rotors, it's unguarded. If someone shot an explosive, I don't know, let's say, for example, an arrow into there, <laughs> it will cripple your ship and you will fall from the sky. And they went, well, we've got to have it by Thursday. We're, pl- <laughs> we're planning to get the Avengers together, so we'll have to put it on the fix later list. Oh. But doesn't, I mean... I take your point, but isn't that the yeah. same with all aeroplanes? Don't all aeroplanes have that have that weakness that is not covered up by something? Yeah, but not that big. I know the, the shield carrier is that big, but when you look at, say, the uh, what they say on The Simpsons, the pride of the US Air Force, the British-made Harrier <laughs> jump jet, the inlets are actually quite small. They're at the side. You don't. You don't they're not like an airplane where you have like the turbines exposed to fall. They're actually you know half half exposed. And they're quite streamlined. But with the Shield Heli Carrier, the entire thing's exposed. And I really am wondering, couldn't they have at least put a cover somewhere, maybe over half of it? Like a, I used to have a, a bit of stand-up I used to do back in the day. It, uh, the Empire in Star Wars did all their... Got all their um, they farmed out all their construction to um, Fatal Floor uh, Constructions. And uh, the Fatal Floor Constructions were a great company, but everything they built, unfortunately, had a fatal flaw. Uh, <laughs> the, de- the Death Star's got one big fatal flaw. Um, the uh, Attack Walkers, the Chicken Walkers, they're brilliant death machines. Although, although you can trip them up with a shoelace, that is that is a fatal flaw they've got. And um, and some of the other some of the other things they built for the Empire's like I don't think anything could. Well, I mean, they're indestructible. Unless some teddy bears throw some logs at them, but I can't see that ever happening. Man, that was definitely I think, put on the fix later list. I think Fatal Floor Constructions may be uh, subcontracted by Shield. I think they pop up in most sci-fi franchises, to be honest. But hey, they help the narrative. That's where they get their business from. The narrative. So, uh, Captain and I, Captain, sorry, Captain Iron Man, uh, work to fix the Heli Carrier's engines. And save everybody on board. And Thor tries to stop the Hulk's rampage, while Black Widow manages to defeat Hawkeye and bring Loki and break Loki's mind control. Apparently, you can break his mind control by knocking someone out, which is quite convenient. Yes, yeah, they're good, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like that. I like that approach. So 
That was this is quite funny because obviously Tony Stark's in there going, "Hey, hey, I'm Tony Stark. I'm going to fix everything and fly into it and do it." And then he's telling Captain America what to do, and Captain's like, "Um, <laughs> there's some electricity." <laughs> Captain America to fix a technical problem in the 21st century was a hilarious concept that they followed through with. What what kind of technology would he be experienced in the 40s? I mean, engines. You you, you probably know about engines, but that's about it, really, isn't it? Combustion engines, basic. Yeah. Basic circuits. Not we're not talking uh, the high tech stuff that whatever this powers this this uh, heli carrier. Maybe similar to some reason on some some level. Sorry, but man, get he 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 was completely lost there, and I loved it. Okay, now Hawkeye. That's me. Is- that's me. Whenever whenever I'm trying to fix anything technical around the house, I am like Captain America trying to fix <laughs> the uh, heli carrier. Like there's some electricity happening here. I'm gonna call my granddad. Tell me what's going on. And also the house is falling from the sky. Why is that happening? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think this is the right moment. We we've put we've pulled him off since uh sorry, not pulled him off. We've uh, Wait, what we've, sorry? <laughs> what have we nobody's, done? Nobody's been pulled off, God no. Not, Listen, not, we've got two until... rules here on this podcast. The first one's no gatekeeping, the second one is we're not pulling people off. I don't we're care not, we're not. how much you subscribe for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we might put that as a later Patreon option. The idea of pulling yeah. off, but no, no, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so th- this is we've we've uh, we've put him off. We've put off talking about him uh, a little bit, but now is the time. Let's talk about Hawkeye. Yeah, didn't really put him off for any any big reason other than there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, Hawkeye um, is a perennial Avenger. He really is. He's there. For, for almost the entire the entirety of the time, he doesn't take too many leaves of absences like the others do. Um, he's a character that debuts in in 1964 as a supervillain. He's an mm. enemy of of Iron Man. He's a, a circus act who's very good at the bow and arrow, uh, and he sees <laughs> Iron Man in action as a superhero, and, and he gets inspired to become a hero as well. But there's this big misunderstanding the first time he tries to help someone and he gets accused of being a thief and instead of like correcting them he runs away and so he is then branded in the media with all these pictures as new supervillain thief Hawkeye and he's like this is the opposite of what I wanted to happen. Sorry. <laughs> I tried sorry. to help someone and that, I, I, I'm really sorry to stop you there suddenly but because someone steals something and now suddenly they're a supervillain. I thought you had to do several things above petty larceny to become a supervillain. Uh, well, if you're wearing a costume and using ah. trick arrows, then I guess maybe you're a supervillain. Um, and so on, on, on his around this time, he meets the Black Widow. And ah. this dude is helpless. She, she at the time is a supervillain. She's a Russian spy, sorry. She bats her eyelashes. She flashes a bit of stocking. And uh, <laughs> this guy is helpless. So he Hawkeye ends up doing whatever the Black Widow wants. And what she wants is for him to fight Iron Man a lot. And steal Stark secrets. Um, fight Iron Man a lot. So that's, that's, that's how Hawkeye begins. And then and then like uh, the year after, in, 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 in 65, he decides he's going to leave all of that behind and become a hero for good. And do it properly this time. Uh, and he ends up saving the Avengers' butler, Jarvis, from being mugged. And Jarvis <laughs> is like, ah, oh, 
Cheers for that, mate. Do you want to join the Avengers? Smoking on a cigarette as he's there chatting to him there. Do you want to, you want to join the Avengers, mate? Because I can hook oh, you up. Why don't you come? I live in this big mansion. Why don't you come back to this massive mansion, meet all me mates, and we'll make you a member of the Avengers. And that's pretty much what happens. Um, so, uh, yeah. Iron Man sponsors him for membership because he's like, yeah, I'll help you turn your life around. And 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 that's that's Hawkeye's home from from then on. He doesn't get a solo comic book until the eighties, from sixty five oh, wow. well up to the eighties. He's just an Avengers character. Um, he's in virtually every iteration of the Avengers. For a little while uh, in his seventies, he he feels he's not powerful enough as Hawkeye, so he starts taking Hank Pym's size altering uh, Pym particles and becomes the giant hero Goliath. Um, he does that for a while. He splits from the team. Are you all right, Will? You look I, confused by that. I'm very confused. It's like uh, the whole the whole bow and arrow thing isn't working. What if I could change my size instead? That's like yeah, a rebranding. That's exactly what that, happens. That's yeah. a re- oh. Well, it, because Giant Man's left the team, or he's gone back to being Ant Man or something, so yeah. they were left without a giant person. So yeah. <laughs> oh my god, this villain's in a very high place. We will need a giant man. They deal with it quite well. It, I think it, a lot of it takes place during uh, the Kree Skrull War, and he's like on a spaceship surrounded by immensely powerful aliens, and there's a massive war going on, and he's there with a bow and arrow, and he's like, This is not working. <laughs> I, I really need to contribute more, or I'm going to die. And so. <laughs> Something something comes up in, in that respect. It, it kind of makes sense at the time. Um, Hawkeye splits from, from, from the regular Avengers, and he and Iron Man go over to uh, LA and start the West Coast Avengers to take care of the whole other neglected coast of America, which has no superheroes. Um, he He's great. He, he's always been a loudmouth rebel, Mm. He's impetuous and hot-headed to a fault. He he books authority all the time. He's had relationships with Black Widow and She-Hulk and Spider-Woman and Scarlet Witch and a bunch more. He's a bit of a ladies' man, more so than Tony Stark. Oh, I yeah, think. totally. And if you're not a major superhero fan, I highly recommend checking out the Hawkeye series by um, Matt Fraction and, and David Ager. Uh, it's quirky. It's kind of street level. It's all about what Clint gets up to when he's not with the Avengers. There's kind of hijinks with a Russian mob and spies. Um, Clint buys a, a block of flats to eat because he he's annoyed by the landlord, so he buys a whole block of flats and inherits all these crazy residents who are his neighbours and stuff. It's brilliant. Really, really good. And it's not like cackling supervillains and... Sci-fi. It's very street level. Very, very cool book. Sorry, but buying it, buying an entire block of flats just sounds like the spin-off sitcom waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> My furry neighbors with Hawkeye. <laughs> I think all the Avengers could end up in a tenement block, all living together. They could. They could. as wacky neighbors. Wacky neighbors. Yep, that would be good. I, we won't explore that further. <laughs> we'll put down the, the pinboard for later. <laughs> Uh, so he, 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 basically, Hawkeye. There isn't much else to him that we haven't seen on screen. He's he's just. I mean, he's captured well. There's, we'll a, say. there's a little bit, but we'll, we'll we'll kind of we will we will. He's not captured. He's he's very 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 different in the movies. Oh, I thought- in the movies, he's he's a government agent who does what what the man tells him to, and he's a trained and disciplined soldier. That ain't Hawkeye. Hawkeye's like a circus rat. He's 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 like practically a hobo. 
who picks up a bow and arrow and accident becomes a criminal and then just can't really you can't ever take orders from anybody and yeah he's very very different in the movies okay more of a vagrant interesting okay we'll cover him more because he'll pop up more we'll cover him a bit more as we go along so uh during the battle um, on the helicarrier back to the helicarrier during the battle loki merges agent colson he merges murders he murders there we go Does put it, the d in it put d in it hey <laughs> <laughs> That's another one for our T-shirt. Put the D Marvel in. versus Marvel. Put the D in it. Put, put it. Put <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I'll start that again. Loki murders Agent Coulson. Boom, boom. Ejects Thor from the airship, sends Hulk crashing to the Earth, and then escapes from Shield. So Agent Coulson dying. They introduce this new character and then proceed to kill him off. They Amazing. do, and that is because Joss Whedon is making the movie, <laughs> and uh, Joss Whedon has to do this. Yep, has to do it. He yes. can't make a film where this doesn't happen at the right time. Yeah, it as they say later, it spurs it, his death spurs them on. He, he figures his deaths would spur them on to a common cause, but it's kind of like you didn't have to do that. Uh, it, it's the death though, the actual death itself. It is tragic. I mean, he, it's, it's 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 painful. It's up there with um, uh, Wash in in um, Serenity. See, I never, I, I my my other half really hates me for this. Uh, so do other people. I never watched all of Firefly, but I watched Serenity before I really got into uh, watch any Firefly. So it's all lost on me. I know that. Please we- leave the podcast immediately. <laughs> Get your partner. Bring her in. I'm done. I'm done with this partnership. I really let you watch so- Serenity before Firefly. I, I I I got I got someone showed me it in a previous relationship years ago, and I was like, oh, okay, I never watched Firefly and I watched Serenity, and it was all lost on me. Suddenly, I know how my dad feels when he watched Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> it's come full circle. I become my dad. Um, yeah, I, I I I I know about Firefly. I know that what it roughly is. It is. Uh, let's leave it. Let's leave it. I'm just. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm just hurt. Let's no, leave no, it and let's move fun. on. No, let's, let's move. Let's move away from uh, live action cowboy bebop. Ooh, ooh, ooh! Drops the mic. Uh, <laughs> so back to eh. uh, Agent. I know. I know. I know. It, it pinged off you. Like like uh, Captain America. I'm shield. aware of it. It's just I've never felt the need. I've got I've got Firefly. Why do I need an animated version? <sighs> you are the worst. Let's move on. <laughs> so back to Agent Coulson. <laughs> it is a it's a tragic death. Tipple of Joss Whedon. Uh, but the thing is, he is a perennial character, not a main character. But there was st- he's still enough of him there to make it to, to carry some weight twenty for when he died. Absolutely, he's been in in. I mean, I don't know. He's been in the first and second Iron Man. <clears throat> Um, he was in Thor. He, 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 is he in Thor? He is in Thor. He's, he's yeah, he's he, in Thor. Yeah, he, he, uh, he doesn't show up in in Hulk, and he doesn't show up in Cap. But it's still more screen time than a lot have got in in all the movies. Yeah, in all the movies. He's he's, he's got, the he's yeah. the thread. Like because Nick Fury's not in all of them. But yeah, I no, think he's, actually he's been in more than Nick Fury at this point. He might have actually come to think of it, but he is he is basically he's on the same thread as Nick Fury. He's there to cut combine together. But although as tragic it was, when that he uses that weapon and it goes off suddenly, and he goes, "Oh, that's what it does." That was the nice little ah, uh, we needed a bit of funniness in this dark place. But yeah, very very sad. Agent Coulson dying. 
especially when you consider how early we are into the whole MCU saga. Also, other thing I uh, I liked, uh, Hulk lands, well, Banner wakes up after Hulk's crashed down, and uh, oh my god, it's a Harry Dean Stanton cario. What a great thing yeah, to include lovely. randomly. Yeah, love that. I, I thought I, I thought I'd mention that because I bloody but love it, Harry. But Dean. again, what happens? Ruffalo gets up, and he's just charming, affable Ruffalo, just falling out of the sky. Ooh, I think ooh, there's going to be a reoccurring. Ruffalo. There's going to be a reoccurring feature. <laughs> most pithy line said by Banner in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Fury uses Coulson's death to motivate the Avengers into working as a team, and Dr. Selvig builds a device that uses the power of the Tesseract to open a wormhole above Stark Tower, letting the alien Chitauri invade Earth. Oh, so we're up to the main point of the film now. So, earlier on in the film, uh, this has been pointed out by a lot of people online, Earlier on in the film, uh, when they're on board the helicarrier, Tony Stark uh, is pointing out the people at the consoles and saying how smart he is, and he points out and said, that guy's playing Gallagher. Gallagher is basically what happens now. It's, it's, it's a live-action version of the video game Gallagher with an invading alien force, and you have to protect them. That's, I like that little reference. Very clever. So, Rob, back to Paulson. Just, sorry, not Paulson. Robert Paulson. Coulson. Uh, he's, he isn't a comic book character. So, in the comic books, who are the Avengers avenging? Because Wasp said, oh, we're the Avengers, but there doesn't seem to be any avenging going on whatsoever. Yeah, you're, just, you're absolutely right. They're not avenging anyone. Nobody. It's just a name. Um, Wasp comes up with it in the first issue, and it's like, like Justice League makes sense. Yeah. Justice Society makes sense. Fantastic Four kind of makes sense. You know, X Men makes it. It just doesn't have any. Even if they were called, so there's another another team called the Defenders, um, yeah. who uh, who who don't have those characters in that you're thinking of at all. Um, the Defenders are uh, Hulk, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, and some other little ones. Name all the Submariner, but the Defenders would make sense for your main team, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. We are, what what who are you? We defend people, we're exactly. the defenders. Exactly. That's that that makes sense. So yeah, it doesn't make it, there's no there's no revenge story. It's just it's a really great it's a, honestly it is a really great name. It, Avengers is a really great name. It is um, a great name. It does ha- it does reek of branding. That's what it reeks of. Absolutely. Yeah. That's I mean that over the years, I mean at the time in the 60s Wasp was a fashion designer. She was a fashion model and designer and stuff. And over the years since then, she has really been shown to be quite brilliant at, at marketing and helping heroes market themselves somehow. So that kind of plays in. It kind of retroactively makes sense that maybe she'd come up with this really great name. Um, every couple of years, there'll be a storyline where something terrible happens to one of the team and another team member will say, it's about time we started doing some damn avenging <laughs> and that's that's a trope of avengers every two or three years that'll happen but yeah nope it's got no basis in anything also uh, talking of avenging uh cap has to take lead in the avenging of coulson i mean let's talk about cap cap as a leader i thought those scenes where cap is giving orders to the, law, the, the the cops, you know, the law enforcement on the ground and the team—they're so important. Oh, totally. Because that's really Cap's. That's Cap's strength. He's not as powerful as half the people in this MCU, 
but he knows what to do. He yeah. he has that inner resolve that inspires people, and he knows exactly how to use the Avengers to their to their best ability. You go here and do that. You go here and do that. You're covering this. And there's a, there's a lot of sniggering about Hawkeye in this movie, and we've had some comments coming on the, on the messages when we when we've talked about doing this. We've had some sniggering about Hawkeye. Uh, you know the whole uh, oh I don't think a bloke with a bow and arrow will last five minutes, but the way Cap uses him in this movie is completely plausible and completely believable. Yeah, he, he gets the expert marksman to a high vantage point, and suddenly they've got the best eyes in the business directing traffic and telling them what they need to know, what's coming, what's going, in what direction, where they need to hit and strike. It it is tactically brilliant, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, so uh, and it kind of so in the in the I, I do worry that he's less needed with the shield connection here. In the comic books, Cap mm. is the leader because you have got all these twisted science geeks and uh, guilt-ridden, cursed trolls knocking around. They they need, they need an actual soldier who's been deep in the S word, as they would say, of war to actually tell them what to do because. What does Tony Stark know about fighting? Oh, or... they, they, none of them. None of them know anything about fighting, but he's got the tactician's edge to him. He knows yeah. how, all about teamwork, and that's that's what's so important about the Avengers. They've all got their strengths. and Cap Teamwork makes the dream work. Right. That's what we love. So, I mean, naturally, he is, he is, he is uh, the suitable leader. He is, he is the prime member for that. So... Um, what I did love, I, I, I'm going to have to quickly comment about this one. I just loved when he was giving the orders out and he was saying, you go up there, get a high vantage point, you do that. And then it's all going nice. And then he just points to Hulk and goes, Hulk, smash. <laughs> just, just... Yeah. And again, it's great leadership, isn't it? You can't give Hulk complicated uh, instructions. Yeah. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, I love it. I love that so much because it's obviously they're playing on the, 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 uh, the catchphrase of Hulk, smash, obviously. It's <laughs> just a nice twist on it. I loved it. Uh, okay, so back to the story. The Avengers come together for the first time to defend New York City from the invasion. Banner joins the team and reveals that he can turn into the Hulk as at will, which is a very nice moment, wasn't it? That's the secret. That's my secret cap. I didn't get it for years. Really? I, honestly, for years and years, I had no. I, I thought it was a stupid line. I didn't think it made any sense. I just thought it was dumb. And then someone, and I brought it up at one point, and someone said, "Oh, it means because he's angry all the time, he can turn into the Hulk all the time." It just didn't land with me, and I just didn't think. I still don't think it because I didn't connect with it automatically. I still don't think it's particularly good. People point it out as an amazing part of the movie and a, a good great moment. And I think Meh. it's inconsistent. <laughs> I, I, I if, like if if it said if it hmm. said I'm angry all the time, I can be the Hulk. Whenever I want, I just if it, if it had been something like more like that, I would have gone, ah, oh, that's a cool moment. Or if there'd been any sense of at no stage in the movie, here's what it could have been. It could have kept that line, right? Mm. But if the rest of the movie had been, come on, Bruce, how can we get you to turn into the Hulk like we have an Infinity War, right? Yeah. If the whole movie had been. Oh, I wish I could become the Hulk, but I just can't summit it out of no. You know, if they've been trying to do that, or how can we get him to become the? And then he's like, "Oh, I can do it whenever I want." It would have made sense, but there's there's none of that. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it, I didn't know. I didn't know it was an issue that, that he need. I didn't. You know, it, was, it never presented to me that part of his character at the moment 
um, for, for the other characters is, oh, how on earth can we get Bruce Banner to become the Hulk? So it, it solved the problem I didn't know existed. Yeah, it it it, it did feel a bit inconsistent because it's just like, no, the whole idea of the Hulk is he's got that walking on a tightrope thing with his personality. Yeah, he could absolutely. And it's detrimental. But at the same time, ah, I really like that bit. Also, I really love the meme. Obviously, they, they turned a meme to the hell out of it. My favourite meme is, that's my secret cap. I'm always horny. <laughs> you Fine. Don't bring horniness into this podcast, you <laughs> horny devil. We don't need uh, horniness. We don't need horniness. We need lack of gatekeeping. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, so back. Anyway, so they're fighting. Uh, they're fight. Sorry, they're fighting in New York, and Cap directs the team and local law enforcement to attack at, uh, the alien aliens and uh, defensive civilians. So this is one thing I've noticed. Um, New York appears to be the centre of the MCU without realising. It's the unofficial centre of the MCU. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it, it's mentioned a couple of times. It, it gets referenced a bit in the comics because it's all... Because Marvel are based there, Yeah, it is all, all those key characters are based out of Manhattan and the rest of parts of New York and Queens and stuff. And yeah, that's why we uh, talked about the, the West Coast Avengers... Yeah, when they came about, it was because we are centralised just here. Perhaps we should send some of our people over there for when something happens over there. It's a real issue. that It's an issue that DC don't have because they've got all these fictional cities that we don't actually know where they are. Yeah. But they're kind of spread out. Most, most of um, DC's fictional cities are still in the northeast, though, on the northern seaboard. Um, the the West gets ignored a lot. Um, I, I, even, I, I think, anyway, that's not important, Rob. Um, <laughs> trying to work out where uh, these cities are now, but that's not what this podcast is. There, well, there Gotham was, um, City's supposed to be New York, isn't it? Gotham City's supposed to be New York, isn't it? Well, it's a mix of New York and Chicago. That was it, yeah, Chicago as well. Yeah. Um, but, of course, it's going to have to be in between them because New York still exists in the DC universe and so does Chicago so it's going to be wedged somewhere um, yeah and, and and Metropolis is is very much like New York as well uh, so anyway that's DC there, there was a there was a, a period of time when there was a government initiative called the 52 state initiative which aimed to put a super team in every state in America um, wow but that was that didn't last very long yeah, yeah, they spread them too far apart. What? What did they put one of them in? Like Utah, and realize, ah, no one's attacking Utah. <laughs> no, it. No, that would have made sense though. How, how many? <laughs> how many super criminals are you going to get in Utah? Um, I, I, it was. It, it all fell apart due to uh, the secret invasion, which we can't go into. We can't go into. We have got to save that for Captain Marvel. Okay, that's fine. We can save that for there. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that, back to point. Yeah, and New York City, centre of MCU. In fact, so much to the point that two different Spider-Man games boasted a realistic Manhattan Island. <laughs> Spider-Man yeah. for the PS4 had a realistic Manhattan Island. Spider-Man 2, which came out years before that. Yet again, realistic Manhattan Island. All about New York. But so, that yeah. uh, the thing... Uh, I'll defend that one because Spider-Man is intrinsically a New Yorker. 
Oh. Like that char- it's ingrained in that character in a way that it isn't with like Iron Man and Captain America and Fantastic Four. Uh, s- s- p- Peter Parker is very much, yeah, he's a Queen's kid. Oh, yeah, he is a Queen's kid. So... Even after all, like all this, ba- all this battle's happening, I mean, Thor still believes in Loki being redeemable. That's quite, that's that's quite a, a strength to his character. I know we think he's a massive douche, but to, to space see- douche, cosmic space, space douche. douche. <laughs> yeah, well, he's yeah. not meant to be anymore. He's he's it, it, the character is meant to be kind of redeemed now. Thor, the oh, Thor it- character. There we go. We don't get a lot of that in the movies because. He's played a certain way by a certain actor who plays things a certain way. Um, and the way he plays things is space douche. Um, so, yeah, sniggering and smirking all the time. You don't get a huge amount of heroism in that performance, but there you go. Um, but that is a defining trait of, of Thor in the comics. He always has that... He's no, he is always angry at his brother... And he's sometimes beyond angry, but mm. he he can never bring himself to like kill him or do away with him or give up on him completely ever. He's there's always a part of him that will give him that chance again. Um, families, you know, it's family, isn't it? And it's and it's it's immortal families as well. They they their burdens last longer than ours. Yeah, that's true. They. Uh... God, that must be a really weird Christmas dinner in Asgard. If they, cele- <laughs> if they celebrate Christmas, God. So yeah, that, that, that gives them a very human edge. Uh, speaking of another edge, uh, Hawkeye's arrows. <laughs> He's like the Batman of archers, isn't he? He has t- so many different... Totally. Ar- yeah, he has an arrow that can hack, an arrow that explodes, an arrow that is remote controlled, an arrow that... Oh, God. It's get, it gets confusing. It makes me think he's going to pull out the wrong arrow in a situation and really do things over. Like, oh, no, I accidentally threw the gas arrow at the submarine. <laughs> it didn't work. They, they had some fun with that as the years go by. Um, mm. Yeah, the, the, in the early days, um, that was very much what Hawkeye did. And you're absolutely right. It, it was like Batman's utility belt. Um, and it was the 60s. Like, Batman's gadgets were big. James Bond's gadgets were big. Yeah. The British Avengers, Steed and Peel, their gadgets were big. It did make sense. Um, and, and Hawkeye does stem from a DC character called Green Arrow. Okay. They made a TV show about him and stuff. He wears guy liner in that all the time, and he's very sad about everything. Don't slag um, off guy liner, mate. Don't slag off guy liner. <laughs> <laughs> but Green Arrow is a DC character who was just a ripoff of Batman. Uh, he, he's a millionaire who fights crime with loads of gadgets. He has a teenage sidekick. He has an arrow car, and he has an arrow cave. An arrow <laughs> cave. An arrow um, cave. Hmm. Yeah, that makes no sense. Bats you find in a cave. You do not find arrows in a cave. So unless you're really Hawkeye's bad at archery. Banter. Indeed, unless you Banter. shoot all your arrows into a cave. Banter. Um, they should have called it the Quiver. Uh, <laughs> Hawkeye's kind of like, yeah, he seems to be like a. He's the only other famous kind of archer at that time. So mm. he's. I don't. I want. I don't want to say he's a rip off of Green Arrow, but they certainly ripped the trick arrows off from Green Arrow. Oh yeah, and Green Arrow ripped them off from Batman. So yeah, they do away with it after a while. But um, you know, it's pretty useful having something that blows up that you can shoot at someone or electrocute someone. Oh yeah, that's pretty useful. 
I totally like like the whole gadget element. As I, I love Batman, I love Batman for his gadgets, and I like that. I just find it utterly hilarious. Um, so while we while we talk about the team and while we talk about Hulk again, I know we he has control seemingly have control over his anger. He's still a volatile guy to have on the team, like the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, is he a big part of the team in the comics? No, he doesn't last long. Um, no surprises by, there. <laughs> by issue two uh, of the Avengers in 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 the early sixties, mm. a shape shifting alien called the Space Phantom <laughs> has. They should ask the Wasp to, for a better name. <laughs> uh, has managed, hey, listen, man. If Lucas can uh, have something as stupid as that, then. Uh, uh, these guys can 30, 40 years earlier. Okay, okay, we'll have that. Uh, the, the Space Phantom manages to convince the rest of the team that Hulk is a menace, and they all fight him. Um, and Hulk is very sad and upset about this, and pretty annoyed. Uh, he's annoyed they were so quick to believe the worst in him. And this is not... This is 60s Hulk. This is not mindless, savage Hulk that we, that we are most familiar with. This is a Hulk um, that speaks in full sentences... And he's ba- ill-tempered. He's he's more like a grumpy ogre than he is a mindless beast that we see like all the time. That's quite an so upgrade. So his feelings. Sorry, that's quite an upgrade. Grump, yeah, grumpy ogre. So his his feelings are hurt, and he's yeah. annoyed, and he he quits the team at the end of issue two. Wow. So he's in for two issues, and, and on the team, and one of those, uh, he's being forced to fight the team. Yeah, because of the space phantom, and then by issue three, he is the full-on menace that the whole team has to go and fight. No, that's uh, that's not called quitting the Avengers. That's called failing your probation, mate. <laughs> absolutely, and 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 then he he um, that's it. He he doesn't join. He helps them out in issue one hundred. He comes back and helps them. Like he joins up with them briefly, but that's it. Uh, and then I think very very modern. Very, and I'm, I'm talking in the last. Four or uh, three, maybe even two years, the Hulk has rejoined the team. Mm. But from issue two, he leaves. And in fact, for decades, there's something called the Avengers Charter, and it does not recognize Hulk as a founding member. It recognizes Captain America instead. Ooh, what shade they threw on him. Don't make him angry. Absolutely. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. (laughs) Thank you, next. Okay, so the Hulk finds Loki and beats him into submission. It's a brilliant bit. This is one of the bits that when my a mate of mine, uh, Tim, uh, Tim Shelton, he was telling me, because I, I, I sort of went off the Marvel films for the Avengers. I, I, I wasn't bothered in seeing it. And he told me all about it. He went, there's a bit with ACDC playing. There's this, there's this, there's this. You gotta, you gotta, I know you like ACDC. Well, all I'm going to say is ACDC over and over again. You, then you watch the film. But he told me about the puny god bit where, where he smashes him. And I already knew what was going to happen. But the moment it happened, I, I was crying with laughter because it's just such a... It is a very Disney scene. You could tell Disney you had the claws yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. But modern, modern, like... Pixar, Pixar plus Disney scene. Yeah. In terms of that, that level of sensibility for, for for adult audiences, I guess. Huge, I mean, huge laughs in the, in every theatre I saw it in. Yeah. I, I must have seen it about five times. Maybe less than that. But every time I went, it, 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 huge laughs. It's, it's, it's a genuine. That and the bit scene. where he punches Thor. <laughs> he always punches Thor like that. Just, just off screen. Big laugh. Yeah. I like that. I, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice comic gauge that I loved. Uh, but yeah, 
he manages to so he, so the Hulk finds Loki, beats him in submission, and then the Black Widow works with Dr. Selvig to shut the wormhole. Now he's free of Loki's control. Selvig reveals that only Loki's scepter can stop the invasion and shut the portal. So, in the meantime, World Security Council tell Nick Fury that they won't put their faith in the Avengers and instead launch a nuclear missile strike on Manhattan. Bom, bom, bom. Willing to sacrifice innocent lives to stop the alien invasion. Now, there is a logic to it. I will say that. But I never understand why they would come to this conclusion so quickly. Also, I don't know if you saw, Nick Fury's tries to stop one of the pilots getting out. And this pilot is racing with glee towards his jet, ready to... <laughs> Ready to end the lives of several oh, million. Oh, finally go and blow up New York. Yes, I spent six years training for this. Yeah, they're going to kill everyone. This is the thing. It's like no pilot would be that quick to do. I know. I know. I'm getting back on the technical, uh, the technical train again. Uh, which we'll call it now. I know I'm getting back on that, but no pilot would do that as quickly. Even, even historically, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. What they actually did... Oh, here we go. Here we, it, this is where we get deep. <laughs> Choo-choo. All aboard. All aboard the technical, technical train. train. setting off. When they... Tell what, us about Hiroshima, Will. Well, Cheer us all up. Gather around, children. I'll tell you a story <laughs> about, about the... Oh, the God. <laughs> okay. Brace yourself. Calm, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Uh, in, in, when, when the Americans bombed uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they actually had four bombs. Two actually had the nuclear payload, and another two ha- were were just were just normal bombs, and they had four planes, so that no one would have to carry the. No one knew which one had the nuclear uh, payload, so no one would feel guilty because these pilots, and indeed another myth is drone pilots feel have no empathy with them because it's like a video game. Totally false. They have comp- they they actually have PTSD and whatnot and mental problems because of this. That was the whole thing. Uh, you you would not be able to end the lives of millions of people at once at the flick of a switch without without coming to your senses and going, I can't do this. So they helped them do this by doing these psychological mind games. And in here, we have a guy running away from Nick Fury going, no, no, don't shoot at me. I need to kill everyone. <laughs> I, I was there going, okay, I get the logic in the film. It's just I, I can't imagine anyone doing that unless they work for Hydra. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe that. Maybe you've uncovered uh, the answer. Maybe this was a Hydra agent working oh. for the uh, Security Council. Oh. So, with that in mind, Iron Man intercepts the nuclear missile after it is fired and flies it through the wormhole, destroying the Chitari mothership and disabling their forces on Earth. Iron Man's suit loses power and he falls back through the wormhole just as Black Widow uses Loki's scepter to close it. Now, this uh, uh, there is a lot of damage. I know there's an ongoing thing about the Avengers causing a lot of damage whenever they try to do the right thing. Uh, but they saved the world in their first outing. Is that how it went down in the comics? They must have saved it like the, the comics, right? No, <laughs> no. They they had their little thing with uh, with Hulk that was all to do with Loki, who was already arrested. Oh. Um, they have. Uh, Another, they have another thing to do with the Hulk, and then a third thing to do with the Hulk, <laughs> um, and then something to do with the lava men from the center of the Earth. But 
it's a localized issue. And then the most awesome thing they do is they battle the masses of evil. The masses, the masses of, evil. of evil is a team made up of all their individual enemies who come together in a to mass. try and kill the Avengers. Ah. Um, so Captain America's World War II uh, enemy, Baron Zemo, puts this team together as an Ant-Man uh, bad guy called the Black Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Man's enemies, uh, the Melter and the Radioactive Man. <laughs> radioactive and... Man. Yeah. He is, he is Chinese and he is radioactive. Um, and the rush, the Asgardian villains, the Enchantress and the Executioner. At the time of the movies, as they were coming out, and we knew they were driving towards the Avengers, a lot of fandom, nay, all of fandom, naturally assumed that the Avengers movie would be the Masters of Evil, that we'd have Obadiah Stane, Abomination, Loki, and Red Skull teaming up because it seemed like all of those movies had set that up, that they'd all team up and and to to try and destroy their their enemies, and that that would be the first big, you know, the first big th- cause that brings them all together. I'm pretty disappointed to this day that we never got uh, a movie like that with with the Avengers that we because you know the the Avengers are kind of done as they were now after Endgame, so it's a bit disappointing, but. That was, I mean, so no, the, the first spate of issues, it's all kind of localised issues, the Hulk three or four times, and and their own their own bad guys coming back just to mess with them. It's, <laughs> it's not until we, we, we introduce a character called Kang the Conqueror um, in issue, I want to say eight or nine, um, and that's a guy who is an, he's an awesome villain, a time traveller who rules the earth in the future. And he's like, right, I'm going to bring all my advanced technology, come back to the 1960s and conquer the Earth. Um, that's the first time that they really save like, save the planet on a massive scale rather than a little bit of it over here or yeah. stop the Hulk again. Wow. So they made it quite perfect in, in comparison in this film, even though a lot of Manhattan property prices went down. Yeah, you absolutely need a huge. It needs to be a, if if it, if it's not going to be all of their enemies coming back on them, which would make the wage budget for the movie probably uh, impossible. Oh, absolutely. Got, you know, <clears throat> you you couldn't have all the wages of all those guys plus all the villains. So if you can't, if you're not doing those, and it's a personal attack, then um, yeah, it does need to be a th- a threat like that that is like a big world threatening invasion works really well. Oh, always, always, always works well in these in these. Uh, I was going to say cartoons, comics, comics, and comic book movies. So they save, they save, they save, they save Manhattan and indeed the rest of the world. And in the aftermath, Thor returns Loki and the Tesseract to Asgard. And Fury tells the Security Council that the Avengers can be counted on when the Earth needs them, which is sort of the end. But in a mid-credit scene, it's revealed that the mysterious <laughs> villain. Made a deal. Made it. Sorry, the mysterious villain Loki made a deal with is actually working for a powerful figure sat upon a throne, and we get our first look at Thanos. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. big moment. Big moment. Oh, big moment. I mean, it's a, I, yeah. I thought I had. I thought I had uh, done all my bits of all my little. I thought I'd. I thought I had. 
<laughs> ejaculated as much as I possibly could during this movie. I thought I was done. I thought there was, I was spent. I thought there was no left excitement left in me. And then that bit at the end when you see Thanos for the first time, holy crap, that was absolutely the the cherry on the Sunday. It was just amazing. That was the first time I got told about Thanos, and I had a lot of people explaining to me, ah, ah, Thanos, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity Gems, ah, ah, and and Tesseract's one of them, and I was like, I don't know what you're on about. You're talking to me like they're the Chaos Emeralds from Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't know what you're on about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was that was it. There was a, there's a there's a rush. There's a, there's an excitement when you, as a fan of something that's not been mainstream, yeah, get get a lot of other people interested in it. Oh, you not you get them interested in it, but they they are suddenly interested in it, and you're around that. You suddenly want to share it with them and be like, oh, "It's really cool because this happens and this happens, and it's but it's a great and it's a great as we see it. It's a great story." absolutely brilliant story but there's one thing that we need to talk about quickly before we come to the end what's the significance of the final line that makes Thanos smile to challenge them is to court death uh, yeah that was a that was a big moment uh, and that line was perfect um, so in the comic books Thanos is a very different character okay. to in the movies he's balance he's not about balance at all he's in love with death Ah. He wor- he worships like romantically. He worships and is romantically in love with the personification of death, which appears to him as Lady Death, Mistress Death, this kind of female Grim Reaper. Yeah, he's been obsessed with her his whole life, and so to court death is a sneaky bit of double meaning. It's not just Thanos is obviously fine with a dangerous situation that might kill him. It's also court death like to date death so it's to a, take date at to take death out and court her so it's an inside joke really it's it does it does it serves two masters it's not an inside joke in that no one else it doesn't make sense yeah but it it plays both ways and it's a, and it's a bit more than it. it it kind of just suggests to us because courting death uh, as in trying to charm and woo death is the impetus for the Infinity Gauntlet saga in the comic books. So it was it was a really under the table nod of yeah we're doing it we're going in that direction uh, yeah we're going to get the gems together let's going to get the band together boys yeah, we get, I was about get say, ready get get the gems together guys we're going to get them get back together <laughs> so that is the end of the Avengers what a film what a film what 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 do you what do you think of it as someone who came to it with no you know, uh, without without the the kind of comic book backstory and, and history, and knowing all of that, what 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 would your verdict be, and how does it stack up to the other four movies that we we've, we've seen? Well, I have to say, I, I'll approach this from two angles. Uh, when I first saw it, I thought it was very loud, a little bit messy in places, but mostly brilliant. I mean, because I, yeah. I, I can understand this is the first time trying to do this, so I, so I, I don't get, you know, let them do that. But after watching it loads of times, knowing where the whole story goes, uh, watching it again, it's not as messy as I originally thought. It's very fast-paced. It doesn't feel like a traditional film. It does get the plot rolling very quickly because it, it, it assumes you have the knowledge already. So yeah, I, I like that. I like the fact that it's not bringing us to speed. It's not reintroducing people. It's just going, right, this is the next bit. You've, you already know this. Hurry up. And I like that. 
It cuts out all that stuff out to keep the normies out. You know, we don't need to be <laughs> we don't need to be mudded down by the normies in their normie pit. We're going to go straight on and go straight, keep the momentum going, uh, and and get into it. I like that. I I think for what it is, it's a. Uh, it serves two masters, Rob. It's uh, it keeps it keeps the normies happy because it's an action film, and it keeps the, the comic fans happy because it doesn't spoon feed them, doesn't te- teach them what they already know, and gets right into it and does the and does a great fan service as well as an all round well good action film. Brilliant, you're right. I think I can't argue with a single thing there. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, and we've uh, I mean we're, we're we're clocking in at two hours. Plus, with this sizable chunk of Marvel history, um, and we've unloaded an awful lot of trivia right into your noggin there, into your muggle brain, Will. <laughs> um, but what we want to know is we close out every episode the same way. Of everything we've discussed and chatted about here, what what has been your favourite piece of kind of memorable Marvel trivia that we've dumped on you? I'd, I'd be surprised if you haven't guessed it already. Uh, it's the Avengers trapping Loki in a lead barrel <laughs> under a trap door. From, from the way you described it, all I, all I could hear in my head was... Yeah, well, I think they were at a circus at the time, remember? They were, so, they were at a circus, uh, but it was a very, it was a, it was one of those, uh, it was one of those old-fashioned machine type things where it's, this thing goes off that thing, it goes off the other, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> Just, was- 60, 60s villains man 60s villains <laughs> so Will we have closed out a huge step in, in our journey Yes. phase one of the MCU is down it is done it is in the archive anyone can go and check out everything that we've done so far from 2008 with the first Iron Man film through to the Avengers um and we had a bit of a... We put our heads together, didn't we? Because we weren't sure what to do next. Yeah. Because obviously we've got Phase 2. We've got a hell of a lot more Marvel MCU movies to cover. Um, but before we embark on Phase 2, we've got something really exciting to do. And uh, we're going to take you on a very different journey. Well, not a very different journey, but a slightly different journey. Before we move on from Phase 1 to Phase 2 of the MCU... This podcast is going to take a detour, baby. And we're going to explore the Marvel movies before the MCU. From 1998 to 2008, we're going to look at the movies that set the table. That set the table for the Marvel, the modern Marvel universe. And we're going to start that in the next week, in the next episode, with Blade. So excited to be doing this. Yes, yes. So excited. We're gonna take we're gonna take a trip through Blade with Wesley Snipes and all that vampire action. The first the first big Marvel movie that completely uh, changed the way that cinema started to look at comic book films. So please make sure that you rewatch the Blade movie and join us for uh, a wonderful detour. In this journey of Marvel versus Marvel. Thanks for listening to Marvel versus Marvel. Why not like, click, and subscribe to this wonderful podcast? And hey, if you've got the time, please recommend us to your friends that love Marvel comics and movies. 
don't forget to re-watch Blade and join us as we take a detour through the movies that came before the MCU.